Hello, I'm Dylan. And I'm Keon. And I'm John. And this is Zenith, that podcast where we keep a life-draining bug in the basement <laughs> because this week we watched Rescue. Written by Chris Boucher. Directed by Mary Ridge. And aired on September 28th, 1981. Yeah, and if you are paying attention during the intro, you'll be uh, either glad or dis- greatly oh, distressed glad, to glad. hear that we're, we're joined again by John <laughs> of Making Blake 7. No, I'm just pulling your leg. But yeah, so John's back. Welcome back. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be back. And I should tell your listeners that um, in the interest of authenticity, the guys have actually kept me in the basement for the last <laughs> week or two. So um, if I sound a bit strange, that's possibly why. But I think it will. It can only enhance the episode, I think. Yeah, we built a basement specifically for this because if you didn't know, it's actually uh, against building code to have basements in most buildings in California because of the San Andreas Fault, because we're at high risk for earthquakes. But we installed one anyway. Yeah, we Spiral staircase anyway. and all, exact replica of the set from the episode? No, no. Just to keep John <laughs> in the basement. Yeah. We, we, we spared no expense on this episode. It's quite comfortable. I like it down there. Well, that's good, because you'll be going back down there as soon as you're done. <laughs> here, so. Great. Of course, of course, yes. Of course, <laughs> So, oh uh, how do we want to start this? Do we want to start this with the obvious? Uh, do you want to talk about what's going on with your Twitter feed, or do we want to save that till later in the episode, or do we want to get that out of the way now? Because I feel like uh, if anybody's coming here from your Twitter feed, they're going to be greatly interested to hear. Uh, probably you're just going to say what you already said on Twitter again, just in audio form now. <laughs> but for some people, that gives it more credibility, I guess. I'll keep it brief. Uh, yeah, so I run the yeah the Making Blake Seven Twitter account. It's been going for a year and a half or two years. Currently midway through series two or series B, as I call it. I don't think anyone else does, but I do. Um, and I'm basically just pausing it for a while. I'm taking a year, maybe two off, but I, I do plan to pick it up again. But yeah, I just need a a bit of. Um, it's just taking up a lot of my free time, and my job's quite full on at the moment. So I've decided to take a step back for a while and take a break from it. Um, but there's still a couple of weeks to go, and I'm quite excited, actually. There's um, the Cygnus Alpha Convention next weekend, or possibly this weekend when um, people are listening to this. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually a, a guest at that rather than – I don't usually, I don't really do conventions, um, but um, the chap who's organizing it asked me to come and do a presentation there. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. It's quite a nice way to, to kind of tie things up, really. It actually coincides, and it is a, just a coincidence, with the uh, – the last tweets, I will actually be at um, this amazing 40th anniversary convention. So um, hopefully meeting Gisette Simon and Sally Nivette and Jan Chappell and Michael Keating. Um, basically all the, the surviving you know, main cast members are there and some really interesting behind the scenes people are there too and the guys from Big Finish. So that's going to be a really, really exciting event. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, I feel like I'm hyping it, but all the tickets are sold out. So I don't know. Hyping it up and all the listeners are going to be like, oh, where's the convention? Oh, damn, sold out. Most conventions yeah. sell out within like the first two weeks, but that sounds really exciting, actually. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even, uh, I think I'm sort of like you. I'm not a, a big convention person either, but, you know, with... As far as Blake 7 goes, you know, it sounds very cool. Like, I, I just like, and I've been thinking about this recently, too. I just like how how the Blake 7 sort of fandom, I guess, well, I don't even like that word, is still around. There's still content being produced for it. People are still interested in the show. 
And that's really awesome to me, considering it's sort of a short series, well, 52 episodes. 52 episodes is quite a bit. That's halfway to, to <clears throat> syndication in America. Uh, but yeah, it, I, was, I was thinking the same thing. It is. It, it's got one of the most dedicated followings. It's not not one of the biggest, but and I, I think new fans are coming along all the time. I think there is a feeling that perhaps it's it might be dwindling slightly because um, obviously the none of us are getting any younger. The, unfortunately, <laughs> we've lost some yeah and some cast members recent uh, recently. Obviously, Jacqueline Pierce passed away very recently, which is very sad. So mm-hmm. I think it is it is changing slightly. But you know, Big Finish is still producing stuff, and there is. Yeah, I think there is still a bit of life left in it. But yeah, it's one of those few brands that hasn't been revived or, you know, reimagined or relaunched. Um, I don't know if that will, obviously that would reignite interest, but I don't know if that's ever likely to happen just because the the rights issues are just so so complicated, I think. Well, I mean, when we were starting this podcast and I was looking up things about Blake 7, all I could find was people coming soon from <laughs> Sci-Fi, which is a, a, an American science fiction channel except it's spelled s-y-f-y yep sci-fi but then like all the articles are like yeah sci-fi is going to be making a reboot should come out next year and then the next article is like well they've run into some rights issues they right. don't know if it's happening or like some of them are like well we don't know it who we're going to cost a couple and years ago i think if i remember i think that correctly. was 2013 if i remember correctly yeah that was the most recent i think but it's been going on forever you know paul darrow for many years was you know when terry nation was still alive they were trying to get a, a miniseries off the ground so you kind of, I always take it with a pinch of salt. I've never really believed it would happen, but I, I said the same about Doctor Who and that eventually came back. So you never I mean, know. They I, could do what Bob Baker and David Martin are doing and just canine <laughs> cinematic universe. Here we go. Yeah. Did that Omega movie ever come out? Canine uh, it's coming. Omega. And it's at, the, coming. at a recent convention, they announced they've basically got like a whole actual cinematic universe planned with Bob Baker and David Martin characters. Because they're no like, boy. oh, we've got this whole thing going and we've got all these ideas and we've got all these, all these studios have bought the rights and it's going to be great. And we're making a whole new TV series too. And I'm like, what? Maybe they can bring back Drax from the Armageddon Factor. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, I... I vaguely aware of all that i'm just kind of i think it's it's a, all they've got is a press release really isn't it it's like you know wh- who's going to be in this who, who wants to see it and i didn't see any of that the old there was there was a k9 tv show wasn't there but i have yeah. not seen any of it i just actually i've seen yeah, maybe a few seconds of it on online but it, it doesn't didn't look great and then the uh i don't remember who wrote the episodes with sill but he was like we're gonna make a sill movie too and i'm like what <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, that's uh, the current state of that. <laughs> we can thank the BBC yeah. for that right snafu that's giving us all of that. <laughs> Just brilliant content over there. Well, no one's forcing anyone to actually make anything with these no. characters and properties. So no, but- <laughs> no, Nobody wants it either. You know? <laughs> Just don't do it. Yeah, how about that? How, there's an idea. Don't bother. That's terrible. I shouldn't say. I like K9, but he's. I don't no interest in watching a whole series about him yeah i've never really considered canine a really strong contender for main character of the year <laughs> no it's uh it's the quote from jurassic park you were too preoccupied with whether or not you could you'd never stop <laughs> to think if you should <laughs> yeah that applies to a lot of things doesn't it yeah well anyway back to blake seven i guess last week we mentioned that there was nearly a year between, or nearly two years, nearly sorry, two between years. Series C and D. About series a year and a half. C ended in April, I think. Was it April or May? And then Series D comes back in September. 
Of 81. Of 81. Actually pretty close to when this episode's going to go out. So somehow between starting on the 40th anniversary date, we're going to end actually pretty close to on the day that yeah. the show ended. <laughs> Just by sheer coincidence, oh, yeah. mostly. Yeah, well, it's a, obviously it's a, it's a 52 episode series, isn't it? So it, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's quite, yeah, synchronizes quite nicely with your, your podcast. Almost like you planned it that way. Um, Almost. Yeah, was, I think Terminal, yeah, Terminal was shown on the 31st of March, 1980. And I'm sure, as you know, it that was supposed to be the last episode. And it was only right. because the, the controller, BBC One or whoever was watching it and said, no, it's, that was so good. Let's bring it back. And by that stage, it would have been too late for them to go into production the time that they would normally have done with Blake seven. So they, they basically had to, had to wait before they could, they could begin production and get everything geared up. So that's why there was such a, a massive gap between, between seasons. Well, I think as we get more into the season, it's the discussion is going to shift to uh, was the gap actually worth it? I mean, for this episode, I think we would probably all agree since I think we all really like this episode that it came out pretty good. Uh, I don't know if the rest of the season is going to hold up, this is a divisive season, according to what I've heard. Oh, yeah, it is. I mean, Series D is very, very different to what came before. I mean, it is essentially a different series. I mean, Chris Boucher always said it. he always thought it was a shame that they didn't do a fifth series because Series 4 was basically starting a new series, and he felt that it was only towards the end that they really knew where they were going with the format. And it, But it, it definitely feels different i mean obviously you've got the, the liberators gone so it, it just feels and looks different but it's it's much more than that and the series is now firmly in the 80s as well god that makes that's, that makes me sound so old but it was um it you know i mean i know series c was shown in 1980 but it was most of it was made in 1979 but 1981 it's it it just has a different feel about it i mean if you look at how doctor who changed and a couple of the other BBC series around that time. There is definitely a, and John Nathan Turner came with that quote, didn't he? He wanted to take Doctor Who into the eighties, and it, I think this week was the same with Blake Seven going, yeah, it's the eighties now, and it, it just the way the series was made and just the way it looks. So my advice moving forward would be just bear in mind that it don't expect it to be just like it was before. It is if you accept it on its own terms. I mean, it's my favourite season. I just love it, but it is crazy. Um, <laughs> And it, it's a it's a game of two halves as well. The, you can tell in the first half that they were really, you know, it, the series was made so quickly, and they were really kind of struggling to get everything together. But and then, but the second half of the series is just solid. It, it's just the, I think the best episodes they ever made. And I, I've got a real fondness for the first half as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, I do quite like the look and feel, and it, from a production standpoint, it's really interesting. But certainly by the end, you, it's just one classic episode after another. You mentioned, I mean, you mentioned Doctor Who, and and yeah, right about this time is actually when JNT took over. When this episode airs, season 18's finished up, which was JNT's first season. There, when this airs, I guess launching production on season 19. Uh, it's the is, beginning of the end, basically. Uh, well, I, mean, well I, I would say the beginning of the end was really more like season 2021. I, th- I think season 19 was still going pretty strong, except for the Mirka. <laughs> And yeah, you know, this episode, just the title sequence feels very 80s already. Uh, oh, have, shall we talk about the title sequence? What do, what do you think of it? Yeah, it's I was the only say, thing I, I dislike from the episode. thoughts about the title sequence. 
it's the only thing I disliked from this episode. And that might just be, you know, the, the, that it's a big change. I don't know. I, mean, I might warm up to it a little bit. I feel yeah, like it, it's, it's too static. The other two title sequences were very dynamic with lots of, lots of cuts and Liberator zooming through space and Blake's face and security camera and or the Liberator followed by chase ships. Where this one is, is very, very static. It feels like it's just Scorpio point of view vision for most of it. And then we get that really like questionable decision to redesign the Blake seven logo at the very end of the title sequence. Right. Yeah. I, I like it. I, I mean, I, the thing is I've got such nostalgic feelings about, I, I don't think I can just judge it, you know, dispassionately i just just love everything about it but it is i think it's quite interesting you can always see something different every time you watch it all the different displays on the on the screen and but yeah it is it isn't as well loved as perhaps the certainly the original one but the guy who did it doug bird he he did the one for series c but he actually i've got a sad story for you guys now he actually died um he basically storyboarded it mm-hmm. but then he died before the, the title sequence was, was actually made um, he was only 29 years old. I'm, I'm going to oh. make you feel guilty now because you've just been criticizing his work. Um, and was, <laughs> well, we, um, uh, I really liked the Series C title sequence. So, well, there you go. Yeah. So, and but he did some amazing work. I mean, he he won a BAFTA award. He did the um, the title sequence for uh, I don't you you might not have heard of it, but Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. It was a I've very heard of the book. <laughs> yeah, and it was made into a film a couple of years ago, I think, and it it was a very prestigious BBC drama. Uh, production and he did the title sequence for that and won a BAFTA award for it and then he did the series C titles and then in 1981 alone bear in mind he's only 29 he designed the title sequences for um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy um, Day of the Triffids the BBC version of that obviously series D of Blake 7 um, a program called When the Boat Comes In which was quite another big production and also um, a soap opera a new BBC soap opera called Triangle which was terrible, but it was still, <laughs> it was still a, quite a high-profile show, but it's, it's, it's now recognized as being really bad. Um, but that was just in one year alone, he did all those title sequences. So wow. I think his career, and he was nominated for another BAFTA for Hitchhiker's Guide. So it's really sad. You know, he, he, was, he, was, mm-hmm. um, he died in uh, some, uh, an airplane or something, like a, a miniature uh, experimental airplane. So like a really, quite a bizarre way to go. But yeah, so that that's a nice cheerful story. Yeah, <laughs> nice cheerful story. Yeah. yeah, where do we go from there? Yeah, um, so that was that. Yeah, but I, I like it. I, I think it, it might it might grow on you as you watch it in the the coming weeks and months. Right, possibly. I mean, you were talking about this feeling very eighties, and that that redesigned logo is basically the epitome <laughs> of eighties design. You look at the old one, and it feels very seventies because it's like big letters and very swoopy and angled and then the uh, i mean perspective wise and then you get to this one which is very head-on angles techno vibe uh it's just a single font with like a, a red gradient inside like it's very 80s compared to the previous logo in my opinion anyway yeah it is oh it's very very 1981 isn't it yeah and then yeah, Rescue by Chris Boucher <laughs> appears on the screen and then the episode starts with Avon and Dana. They get right into the action. This starts right where, well, almost well, it right, where start right where Terminal left, left off. off. It, it feels like there's been a couple hours at least. Yeah, but compare that yeah. to the couple of possibly years or months between B and C, you know? Yeah, I'm always intrigued by 
just how long has passed, you know, with a, you know, in that underground base for a couple of weeks, a couple of days. I mean, I imagine I, I get the sense it is just a couple of hours, but I'm just wondering if big finish could ever justify setting. Oh, you know, I'm sure they have adventures in that gap, but it is intriguing. Cause if you think about it, it the situation they were left in at the end of terminal, you know, Avon's basically just shafted them. You know, it's entirely his fault that <laughs> they're in this predicament, and yet no one really seems that angry with him. So maybe they all just kind of had a beer in that base and <laughs> chatted it through. Or, There's know. no time to be angry. <laughs> be angry yeah, later. That's true. Uh, I noticed that terminal seems to somehow have rounded itself off since last week. Last yeah, week in Terminal, it was an ellipsoid, and then this week it's a sphere. I was a little questioning of that. We wonder That's whether Zen was distorting the image intentionally, but no, no, whatever. It, it's basically, obviously, it's just a continuity mistake, isn't it? But I think it's it's a real shame, because I think they've, they've really tried quite hard to match the continuity. They even got the same director back, Mary Ridge, and they're all wearing, most of them are wearing the, the, the costumes from Terminal. So I think they... And that, the space binoculars that um, Avon's using. So it's just a shame that they, yeah, they didn't use the right shot of terminal. But it could be argued that you're seeing it from above, not from front on. It could be like from the side, if that makes sense. No, so I know what you're be, saying. Like it looks yeah. like an ellipse from the side, and then from above, it looks like a circle. Yeah, I could see yeah. that. Yeah, it, it's a stretch, and it, that's not what was intended, <laughs> obviously. But it, yeah, but they've got they've still got the heartbeat pulsing in the background, which is great. I think that's just such a simple but effective. Um, well, I correct. think part of the reason why it's not ellipsoidal is because it looks like they reused the exact same planet for Xenon, but then they just like put it under different colored studio lights. Like they used cyan for Terminal to try and match the image of Terminal from last season, and then they used like red for Xenon. I think it was red for Xenon. Yeah, it looks kind of like a, a greenish yeah. color. Yeah, because it looks it looks almost like the exact same like planet prop. I guess it would be. I think I think it is. I think throughout this, I don't know if class it as a spoiler, but I think they do tend to just use the same prop. Sadly, and I, did you I, notice, I, I assume shit. you say sadly because the prop starts to disintegrate halfway through <laughs> the season. But oh, no, it's just it's not as you know because in previous seasons each planet looked very oh, right. distinctive. Mm-hmm. Here it, it does tend to be just a yeah a blue circle. Um, did you notice that when the spaceship blew up? Did you recognize that sequence from anywhere? I didn't. I, didn't I, I did actually. recognize reused footage from Volcano later in this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I noticed <laughs> that too. But the, the ship that Servan leaves, then when it explodes, that's actually Koza's ship from Weapon. Huh. Oh, okay. Okay. Just spliced in. I mean, I think it works brilliantly. It fits. So why not? But it, that and it was a good effect. But that's that's where that was from. Right. And since you mentioned Weapon, you know, back when we watched Weapon, we were like, oh, that's that's stock footage, that explosion. But you know, then you know. Later on, I found out that it actually wasn't right. It was, it was, it was actually done for the episode. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And they actually filmed it on location. They filmed the effect outside, which I think maybe helped make it look so good. Right. Right. Yeah. And I was surprised at how uh, how sort of good it all looked. But yeah, and I didn't catch it the, here. Yeah, we've got the snake as well. What did you think of the snake? Because so it starts with Avon and Dana watching this ship. It blows up. And then she wants to rush back to the base because it's Avon has theorized that if Servalan's booby trapped the ship, she'll have booby trapped the base. So that's kind of blown up as well. And Dana naturally just wants to go back and try and help everyone. But Avon's saying, take it slowly, Dana. And then she runs into 
that big snake thing. I don't even know if it's meant to be a snake, but that big kind of root or snake yeah, or whatever. Yeah, I imagine it's just some sort of like sentient plant. I just want to mention yeah. when she runs off, she's like, I'll see you at the base, Avon. And after she leaves earshot, Avon just kind of goes, no, you won't. Yeah, <laughs> just I, like under yeah. his breath. And I was like, what? I doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> now, I thought this thing was sort of, I imagined it as like a brontosaur type thing and you're just seeing its neck. A brontosaurus? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird, I mean, I think it's a great prop. Um, it, 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 yeah, it looks partly like a creature, but it also it does look quite plant-like as well. It just it's kind of weird to work out what it is. You don't see it for long; it's only on screen for like a a second, isn't it? And then it well, it you goes. get it gets a little bit more screen time in a little bit when they regroup, and then Dana and Villa fall yeah, down course, there. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Dana is so useless in this episode, isn't she? I, love, I mean, I love Gisette Simon; she she gives a good performance, but she's an absolute liability in this episode you just you know she 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 runs into that snake and has to get rescued it's her fault that her and villa end up down that hole but she blames villa for it and then she goes into the basement and starts crying like a five-year-old and just like for god's sake when you think how strong she was just you know at the very start of series c it's it's a shame that she's not very well catered for here yeah she really is pretty useless in the story she does get a, a a little bit of a moment when they uh, um, Scorpio a little bit later when she's talking about the weapons and how she worked on a weapon system like that for years but she never got it to work and that's about her only you know good moment uh, she becomes a liability again <laughs> later on when she drags Tarrant down into the basement yeah exactly she just um, and oh I did the gun as well when when you just talked there about all the different types of bullets and what have you are you, are you looking forward to seeing those being used throughout the rest of the series uh, no, because I'm looking forward to them <laughs> completely throwing that out the window and just using yeah. like regular bullets for the next 12 episodes. Uh, you know this series so well. <laughs> I guess I don't because I was kind of looking forward to it. Oh, wow. Well. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking forward and I guess my hopes and dreams will just be crushed here and now. But I'm looking forward to a lot of, you know, of the tech on Scorpio. Yeah, that's definitely <laughs> not happening. <laughs> well, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves, but yeah, so um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, manage your expectations, that's all I'm going to say. Well, uh, you probably are better equipped to answer this question than Keon would be, but do you know if the budget was dropped for Series D compared to A, B, and C? Um, it certainly didn't go up. Um, <laughs> and, and there was a, a real problem at the time with inflation, um, mm-hmm. So I think you got a lot less for your budget. So I know they they spent a lot less on costumes, for instance. The budget went right down there because they, they basically keep the same costumes for multiple episodes. Um, so, yeah, I think they were – it was tighter. The money didn't go as far as it did before. And it, it, whereas previous years, the budget had gone up, right. not hugely, but slightly each year. That that wasn't the case here. And the money just didn't go as far as it would have done before. So it, it, it was definitely a – like the all the other seasons, it was – you know, very, very tight budget, more so perhaps than before. Ah, okay. Yeah, because I was curious about that, especially with the title sequence being so <laughs> static. I mean, also, they're not being a ton of great sets in the story. Spoiler alert, I really find the Scorpio <laughs> Bridge to be really underwhelming. I really like it. I oh, really I like really, it. Really, I really, really kind of hate it. I think it's as good as The Liberator. Mm. Guys, before we get onto Scorpio, we've got <laughs> something we haven't talked about. Yeah, you know, we've got to talk about thing from my childhood okay well so villa oh, saves boy. tarrant first and then he hears right, we get sort of a shot of him dragging tarrant out yeah and then i think 
it, it's he Tarrant must have been at least partly conscious because there's no way Villa could have carried him <laughs> all the way up that massive long ladder that we saw. So presumably he was semi-conscious. Right, right. Well, then Villa hears uh, what turns out to be Callie's last words, Villa. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's interesting because originally they thought Jan Chappell was going to come back and do the whole of the fourth series. And then it seemed like she was only going to be in the first six episodes. So they went ahead and I think the plan was to just write her, to write her out after episode six. Um, but they just thought she is definitely coming back. You know, everyone else had agreed to. And then I think they negotiated with Jan Chapel, and they were under the impression she was coming back. So all the scripts were written, well, the first six. And certainly Rescue was written and Callie was in it all the way through. And then it, Jan Chapel said, no, I'm not. I don't want to come back. And so they said, but no, but you're coming back for six episodes, aren't you? They said, no. And they said, well, okay, will you come back for five? And then she was like, no. Will you come back for four? And she was like, no. And then they get, this kept going backwards and forwards. And they said, well, will you come back for two episodes? And she's like, no, I'm not doing it. And then one, will you do one episode? She said, no, I don't want to do it. And then they said, well, would you at least maybe do a couple of days filming so we can write you out? And she's like, nope. And then they said, well, would you do some dialogue off screen? And then they were like, she's like, nope, don't even want to do that. And then eventually they said, well, will you do she said i'll do two words she wouldn't even do you know i think the original plan was chris Pucci was going to at least have her you know talking to villa telepathically saying you know get away don't 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 mind me or whatever you know but um it, i'm sure it wouldn't have been that it would have been better but it, yeah she only would only do those two words um i think she just had enough she was just like i, I need to move wow. on if she if she was seen to be in it, then people might make the assumption that she's still part of the series. So so I actually think they did. I think that Callie is killed off brilliantly because what else could they do? At least, even though it's only two words, it, it was Jan Chapel. You know, she did go to the recording studio and, and record those two lines. It it does give you the feeling that she was there. And, it, and it's very grim as well. You know, it's. I love the fact that they're they're already in a terrible situation at the end of Terminal. It just gets so much worse within the opening two minutes. And it's... I think if you think about it, you know, it's just so dark what happens to her. You know, she's she always, she always used to say, you know, um, may you die alone and silent. And that's kind of what she does, you know, at the bottom of this dark shaft, you know, and it's, it's pretty dark and, and horrible. But I think it's the, it's all they could have done. And did you notice that she shouted um, Blake when she died as well? What what do you think that's all about? Ah, so that's what she was saying. Really just sounded like, ah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't when she dies. I didn't notice that she said Blake. Ah, no, she, she, she cries out Blake's name and there's been all kinds of theories about why that might be. Blake. <laughs> that's what I would do. I'm like uh, Shatner. Con! But that's kind of intriguing, isn't it? You know, is she shouting out because he she blames him or because she... She was he was the most important person to her, or it isn't quite intriguing why she you'd think she might shout out Avon's name, but it's interesting that it's Blake. Yeah, that's I mean, you actually you you would think it would be Avon, and I'm curious to see because because Blake sort of almost haunted series C in a way, and I'm curious to see if that's I mean, I I, I know what's you know coming at the end of the final episode, but I'm curious to, to find out how this all plays out. Well, it's interesting because Blake, as far as they're all concerned, Blake is dead. So he's. Yeah, I think they're he's, all just going to buy into Silverland's Blake is dead thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't want to spoil it for you, but yeah, essentially, yeah, they, there's no reason to believe she was lying. So he is mentioned occasionally, but the assumption is that they all believe he is still dead. So. But maybe, yeah. Callie, maybe Callie's crying out because she knows he's not. <laughs> maybe she can <laughs> sense well, a telepathic presence somewhere in the universe. 
Well, I like to think that somewhere in the universe, you know, Blake heard her. Maybe he, on a beach somewhere. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or maybe he just woke up. Do you think it was that a nightmare, or was it actually maybe he heard her final telepathic scream? But that's just me being a very sad. What if the show ended yeah. in the final episode? Blake wakes up and series C and D were just a fever dream he had, <laughs> like on the medical ship at the end of series B. I think some people quite like that. Not me. You know, <laughs> I think the series got better as it went along. But um, yeah. But did you guys know? that Callie was going to bite the dust in this or was that quite a big shock to you watching it I knew time? she was biting the dust eventually because I knew she didn't make it all the way to Blake but I didn't know when and yeah. then I wrote in my notes here, did they just kill Callie off? <laughs> yeah I knew she was she was going to die this this series didn't know it was going to be in the first five minutes of this episode <laughs> yeah. though well, how do you think it was handled? do, do you think it, it, under the circumstances bearing in mind they did try to bring her back do you think it was okay or I mean you talk about you know the struggle to even get her in the recording booth and You'd think that, you know, if if she was there, she would have done a little bit more, right? Than the two, you know, she's already there, you know, do do a few more lines. But no, I think it was it was done devastatingly. And it I was mean, good. I liked it. I liked it right up until about three minutes later when they all kind of just brush it off and walk away. Like, even worse than Gan. Like, at least Gan at the end of the episode, they're like, well, Gan's dead. Let's get out of here. They well, had, the, Callie moment, gets mentioned though. once more in this episode, and that's by Avon when he just kind of coldly says, she died later on, because he's like, well, oh, yeah. That's quite nice, because he quotes that saying of hers, that was, he who trusts can never be betrayed, only mistaken, or something like that, and he right. says that was a saying that among Callie, Callie's people. Yeah. But, but then he kind um, of... But then the, but the way I interpreted that was that he undermines it by saying, they all died, and then he says, she died as well. It's kind of well, like he was saying, saying that if, to undermine the quote, uh, to say that Callie was wrong. A little bit, yeah. He's, but he, yeah, and she ended up dead. But it shows that he's still thinking of her, I guess. And it, that was actually a line that was used in Mission to Destiny. So Chris Boucher had remembered that and used it. So it was actually it was a scene between Avon and Callie, and it's a very specific callback. So he is, yeah, he's basically saying Callie said you should trust people, but that was a saying amongst the people, and they're all dead, and she's dead. Uh, look how that worked out. So he is kind of having a go, but at the same time, it does at least show, I think, that he's thinking of her. Right, and there's I, a great... Yeah, sorry, go on, sorry, no, sorry. And there's a great moment as well. I mean, you're right, they, they don't dwell on it at all. They move on ridiculously quickly. But if you think about it, they're trapped on this planet. As far as they know, they might all be dead in a few hours too. So they don't really, they can't really do much i mean but i would have expected like something from villa at least villa and avon with with callie for i mean we don't know how long at this point but at least a couple years because because i think mentions that she and blake have been squaring off for a year or two at some point it's been a couple years it's it's been a couple years villa and callie and avon have been together for a couple years and at least we get that line from avon but villa like in this episode is like oh callie's dead i'm gonna go get drunk now (laughs) yeah i think it would have been nice although you do Again, I'm doing what I did last time. It is referenced again, Villa. It does have a bigger impact on Villa than mm. is perhaps yeah, apparent in this episode. Yeah, it, yeah, that is a bit galling. And it, there was a line in the original script, you know, where it, you know, Villa's just saying, you know, the Liberators destroyed, Callie's dead. What's the point of going on? So it was. It's unfortunate that that line was dropped. But there's a great moment when Tarrant says, "Where is Callie?" And then Avon says, "She's dead." And then Tarrant says, "Are you sure?" And there's only a tiny little pause before Avon, uh, before Paul Dara says, yes, I'm sure. But that's a great pause. You know, it shows that he's, it has affected him. You know, he, he 
he went down there. Presumably, he found her body or what was left of it. And so, yeah, there's, it is there. The actors, even though there's not much in the script, it, they they do try and at least imply that Avon is is affected by this as much as he can be affected by anything. Right. If you think about it, I'm, they've all lost people recently. He lost them. And really lost, uh, lost yeah, a father, and you think about how Dell reacted when his brother died very recently. I mean, he was take he was shaken by it, but I guess you could just say they've all lost so many people that maybe they're just used to it by now. But it is. I'm I'm making excuses for them. For years, I, it bothered me that no one really seemed to give a damn that she's she's gone. But it, in hindsight, I actually think that's probably more realistic. You know, just because of the situation they were in, and there's enough we don't see the from her dying and then seeing them around the fire, presumably, you know, that some time has passed. So right. we don't see their mm-hmm. initial shock when Villa tells them that she was down there. So yeah, there is enough leeway, I think, to suggest that they did perhaps care at least a little bit. Yeah. That, that was actually my interpretation as well. You know, there's, there's so little that we get, but what's there is so, uh, I don't know, packed with, things to things to unpack i guess you know uh, the stuff you mentioned right uh avon quoting callie from mission to destiny and the she's dead moment and that's just so devastating to all of them but the thing about the she's dead moment is that again they immediately undermine it because then tarrant goes what you went in because you wanted to be a hero too and he's like no i needed orac it's not like he went in to go find Callie because he oh, just brushes it off. Oh, like, no. oh, I went yeah, in to get orac that's that's, that's, that's avon, yeah that's avon yeah. doing his thing ah but it's it but like Avon and Callie, they built up this thing last season. There was like that implied kind of deeper friendship between them in, what was it? We did it with RG and I'm forgetting the name now. Yeah, I forget what that one's called. And too. the one where- Sarcophagus. Yeah, Sarcophagus. Sarcophagus. Yep. There's like an implied deeper friendship and Avon just brushes us off like, no, no, no. I, I went to go get Orac. And it's like, I, you no, could try and twist it to say like, oh, he's just trying to hide his emotions. But, oh yeah, that's totally what The way what it Paul Darrow delivers it is just so cold and unfeeling. Like there's no like actual, it doesn't um, feel like there's any emotion behind I, it. I'm in a complete opposite camp. I, yeah. I say there's no way you could say he's not devastated by this, really. Yeah, he the way he says, yes, I'm sure. And he, you know, he went down, he definitely went down there for her. And, you know, they he must have found the body, you know, because there's no way well, he did, you know, it, I think there's all kinds of fan fiction online, you know, about him finding her and she was still alive and she dies in his arms and all that. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. I like that he went down there and just found like a, a bit of an arm or, a, you know, a, maybe a, a charred torso or something, something really horrific, you know, but that's just me. I'm very dark. I mean, but even, but, even if you say Avon's got these moments, it still bothers me that no one else does, that everybody else just seems to completely brush this aside. Like when Taron asks if Avon's dead, he doesn't seem to have any sort of emotional reaction. When, when Paul Darrow says, oh yeah, I'm sure. Like if you look at Stephen Pacey, there's like blank face, no reaction there. Dana seems completely sure. unconcerned. Villa just gets drunk for the whole episode. Like, even you could argue even that Villa's if, getting drunk yeah. because he's grieving, and Tarrant was in. Tarrant was injured trying to rescue Callie, so that suggests that he cared. And you know, Avon, there's definitely signs that he cared as well. I mean, it's this is me having watched these episodes over, you know, over and over again. And you, you realize there are, there are bits in there and you just need to dig a little bit deeper, I think. But it, yeah, but certainly the first time I watched it, I was like, wow, no one gives a damn about it. <laughs> it's, it's quite shocking, uh, but that's very Blake seven too. It's, it's not the sort of series where 
they would all sit around crying and hugging each other. You know, it, it, they wouldn't do like a hologram of Callie appearing saying <laughs> what she, she means, what they all meant to her, you know, and, and Jan Chapel herself has said, I actually do wish I'd gone back and at least done a death scene, but I wouldn't have yeah, wanted well, your fault, Avon crying over my body. You know, she even suggested actually to, um, when she did go in to record those two words, and you're right, I think she was there. You think she'd at least said a bit more, you know, but she suggested to Via Lorimer that when the explosion goes off, you see bits of green leather fly into the air and maybe a little bit of permed hair. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> uh, but she, she said she thought it was actually quite a good way for Callie to go because on a number of occasions she was left behind. You know, if you think back to Series A when they all thought she'd been killed in that explosion there well, and quite a couple sad, of times really. yeah but, um but i think under the circumstances you know it i think they handled the death quite well and you've got to remember it was like we said earlier it's almost been two years since the last episode mm-hmm. if you keep if you keep harping on about a character who's no longer there it you just you want to get on with a new and introduce the new characters and the new setting you know well even blake though if you think about that it was like, oh where's blake oh he's gone with jenna where's jenna oh she's gone with blake oh okay <laughs> it's it's actually not, at least here we hear callie's voice you know we didn't hear gareth thomas or sally nivette i mean i mean they were mentioned more i guess but they do move on pretty swiftly there and callie is mentioned a few more times i mean the death itself to me is pretty good like i said my problem is with the rest of the episode when no one seems to actually give a damn yeah, they um, could have. They could have. I mean, like even with Gan, we got that moment of silence where everyone looked somber. Like, like I said, Stephen Pacey doesn't seem to have any sort of emotional reaction to to Paul Darrow saying, "Yeah, I'm pretty sure she's dead." So it would have been maybe nice if, like, when they were flying off the planet, if maybe Villa or Avon had said goodbye, Callie, or something. But it, that in itself, it's a bit cheesy. You know, it's like when Kirk. Mm-hmm flies away from Genesis and he's like, goodbye, David. But that's Star Trek. That's very emotional and touchy-feely, whereas Blake 7 is, you know, these guys don't really even like each other. They are together for mutual convenience. I mean, there's this other moment, too, that I'm thinking of that, again, shows they really didn't seem to care when when they have all the wine glasses and then Dana goes, you know, if Callie hadn't died, there wouldn't be too many glasses. But she says it, like, so emotionlessly that it's like, did you even care that Callie's dead? Because, like, it's yeah. a good point that if there's an extra wine glass, they were considering Callie being there. And then she just kind of goes, yeah, you know, if Callie wasn't dead, there'd, there'd, be, uh, there'd be the right number of wine glasses. Like, pretty and much exactly like, oh, like that. Just one more for me, then. <laughs> yeah, and Phil was just yeah. like, yeah, more for me. It's like, that was, like, the real moment was, like, is anybody, like, actually affected by this death? <laughs> yeah, but th- those are all, like, all the moments you're mentioning are the ones that I, like noticed as well but i i mean i saw it the complete opposite way right i thought these were moments where they actually I mean, what did you pull out of that moment where they cared because villa just brushes his eyes of more wine for me yeah i mean villa's and john you mentioned this villa's getting drunk in this episode as uh, you know he uh, as a way of grieving i guess yeah, it's a possible interpretation. I mean, it, Callie's death and Villa's reaction to it is very specifically mentioned further down the line. So it, they, it's almost like they realized maybe and thought we'd better put in a few lines <laughs> later. Um, but yeah, I've, I've kind of, I've swung, I've swung, I almost said I've swung both ways, but that's a different story. But um, it, <laughs> I started off thinking, you know, it, it was very badly handled. But over time, I've realized, actually, I think it, it's there is enough there if you want to dig a bit deeper and I think it's quite clever the way Chris Boucher used her absence, you know, the fact that there is one wine glass too many. I actually think that's quite clever. But it may, might have been nice if Dana and Villa had been a little bit more somber in that moment. And the fact that when Dorian goes down into the, the basement, 
you know, he mentions the death of the telepath. That's going to make things more difficult. It implies that he knows a lot oh, about it. I thought he said it would make things easier. I was pretty sure that line was he was like, it's going to make things easier. Maybe that. Maybe I just misheard I the line, but I, I was pretty sure he said that would make things easier. It's definitely the, the death of the telepath will make things more difficult or something like that. Um, hmm. Maybe I misheard the line is, then. So it, maybe if Callie had been in this episode, it, maybe she would have been the one who went down to the basement because this was written with her in it. Right. Um, so perhaps she would have been she, and if she had agreed to come back for one episode, we have to assume that she would have died in that basement, or she would have either died right at the start on film if she'd only agreed to come back to do one day's filming, or she would have been in the whole episode and died in the basement, which could have been a bit of a a downer. And yeah, it's quite interesting. She was in all the other scripts. Poor old Glynis Barber, she used to get handed scripts and it just had Callie crossed out and (laughs) Sulin written in pen over the top. It was was that last minute. You know, they really thought she was coming back. So I guess it makes it all the more impressive that they actually did still manage to write her out effectively at all. So they introduced Sulin as a Callie replacement. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. Well, it's interesting that there are, was Sulin um, always in the story, even when Callie was in it? And then after the story, or after Jan Chapel was like, I'm not coming back. They were like, oh, do you want to come back, Sulin? Was that unfortunately, what more um, the, the draft script, I mean, it might exist somewhere, but I've never seen it. And I've, you know, tried, all the people I've spoken to, no one has ever seen that draft script, but it it was definitely written. And then, but there are, I've seen the script for episode three and episode five of this season, and Callie's there, but Sulin isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did remember. I remember there was an interview with Paul Darrow, and he suggested that you know, Sulin would have been introduced early on, and there would have been they would have both been in it for a while. But that might have been him just misinterpreting what actually happened. But it, it presumably, it, yeah, Sulin wouldn't have been there at all. Or if she was, then she would have died at the end with Dorian, presumably. Right. You know, it's, it seems likely that 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 would have been the case yeah. or that she would have, you know, maybe survived and just been one of those characters who just doesn't go along with them. Who just doesn't appear next week. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I'll, s- I'll, yeah, you, I haven't s- seen, <laughs> you haven't seen next week's episode yet, have you, Power? Not yet. No. Uh, okay, I won't say anything. <laughs> I suspect she would have died. I mean, I thought she was going to die in this episode at first and then... I knew she was joining them. After she didn't die, I figured out that she was part of the crew now. We're kind of jumping about all over the place, aren't we? That's my fault. A little bit. Okay, well, so so Callie's dead. Dana and no. Villa fall down a hall. And then... Right. Uh, and then we meet Dorian. And then, yeah, Dorian saves him. Dorian's name, Dorian an obvious Gray reference now. to no. Dorian Gray. So, and what, do you think of, what did you think of Dorian? I really thought Dorian was going to be the one to join the crew, honestly, right up until the uh, end, like halfway through, and it was revealed that he was an even maniacal <laughs> genius who wanted to kill everyone. I wish he had. I think he, it would have been great if they'd kept him on. Maybe not for the whole season but if he'd done maybe three or four episodes i think that would have been great i think he's a fascinating character and a, a really great actor uh jeffrey burridge who, who i was really bothered by him. his physical acting later on though it like seemed really overacted i think when he i prefer him when he's when we first see him you know he's in the gray kind of boiler suit and he's very much he's playing the part mm-hmm. of a of a salvage right. guy and i think when you actually see him and he's in his velvet trouser suit and you know he's got all the orange makeup on and his performance gets a little bit camper i yes. think certainly the, i mean he's still he's still good but i think he's he's much better in that yeah these early scenes 
Right, and that that sort of salvager persona that he's playing, right? That's the character that I was like, yeah, I, I wish this character would would yeah. sort of join them and 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 be part of the crew. Yeah, exactly, and that would have been fantastic. And then maybe with subtle hints that there's something else going on. Um, and, and what do you what did you guys think of like the Scorpio and and Slave? I loved all of it. Well, I, I, I did not you- think that they were going to. I didn't. I mean, I knew about Scorpio, and I didn't think it was going to live up to the Liberator in any way. But you know, I really like the sets. I really like what's introduced here. As soon as they introduced Slave, I was like, "God damn it! Another supercomputer in this universe that supposedly only had Orac." <sighs> Very hell of a side. And that's basically what I did when they introduced slave though because i mean okay it doesn't actually bother me that much but what what bothers me is that you know they made this huge point like oh orac is this supercomputer that like nobody in the universe has has but then in series c we meet we meet ultra who's like way more advanced than orac we meet uh, moloch who's way more advanced than orac is now we meet slave who is basically on the same level as zen zen being another one of the most advanced computers in the galaxy it feels like Every time they introduce another one, the, the the universe feels like it just gets smaller to me. Well, I mean, that's part of the Series C thing, though, right? In Series A and B, there was this monopoly of information, and there was this control of information, and then once that's sort of unleashed, it's just anyone's game. But I'm, but I'm talking out of universe. It makes the universe feel smaller because it feels but like sl- we keep getting the same thing over and over and over again. I mean, Slave is useless, though. I mean, he is... I mean, I know they say he's highly sophisticated, but apart from that reference to him being highly sophisticated, he's actually useless. And he's he, he never he's never of any... Again, mild spoilers. He's never of any help to the group <laughs> at all. He's always just kind of all bumbling and apologetic. So That's he... That's a good thing you've got... I, I hear what you're thing. saying. It is a bit like uh, another... Well, they've got to give Peter Tudnam the work, I guess. But, um, but I, I like him. I, I think it's a great design and... Yeah. I really like the design of Slave, actually. Right. I think of all the supercomputers we've met, Slave is the the best-looking one. I put Orac probably second. And, and, I mean, we talk about the sort of reduced, possibly, budget of this, but, you know, the, it seems there was a bit of money, you know, got, went into oh, Slave. Oh, certainly in setting everything up, yeah. And the, the people who made Slave, it was um, a chap called Richard Gregory, and his company Imagineering, and they, because of, of Slave, they then got recommended to work on Doctor Who, where oh. they did uh, the cyber, the new look Cybermen, and all kinds of other creatures in Doctor Who as well. So they, they were um, a freelance company, so they, they did spend money on it. You know, they went out externally and got this prop made, and it was a fully functional prop that was integrated into the set. And those guys, you know, they, like a lot of people working on effects in Blake 7, they went the extra mile to make it look as, as good as possible. And it paid off for them, you know, because they, they, that was a showcase for them and it led to them working on Doctor Who for the next four or five years. So. I mean, Slave yeah, looks really cool. great. Yeah. Like, Slave was by far my favorite looking thing of this entire story, though I'm glad that Avon's big gauntlet gloves came back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, those gloves, they're great, aren't they? And yeah. And it, what do you think of the Scorpio as well? I mean, I love the whole aesthetic of Series D. I think it's fantastic. It really is. I mean, it, I really it like the cohesive. outside design of Scorpio. The bridge, I said, was super underwhelming to me because it feels just like a rectangle. The Liberator's br- bridge felt very dynamic. Like there was a lot of open space in the front. We had Zen on the one wall and then we had all the consoles. And then in front of the consoles, we still had that kind of staging area that they used for a lot of 
just kind of general purpose things where they talk about their plans. They have a little couch there. And yeah, I get Scorpios are small as shit, but there's still ways to make a small bridge seem interesting. And the way that this one is just set up, it feels very, it feels very, this is a room we had in the BBC uh, warehouse, like an actual rectangular room. What can we do with it? Because it feels very rectangular. And, and that's all I can really say about it is that it, it feels rectangular. I I mean, I really liked it. I I think it does a great job of of just giving you this impression like this is just as this is just this is chump change compared to the liberator this is just, it's a smaller ship it's a it's a worse ship all around no question about it yeah. right but it feels very dull i mean even if you look at the control panels like you would expect an older ship to have more actual manual controls than the liberator since the liberator was so automated but like Terence control panel is like the width of like a notepad and then there's like all this empty space on the console that's like completely unused and and you still see it in the shot like they don't even frame the shot so that it's just the actual control panel to make it look more complex than it is you see this whole empty control panel and you're like but they have all the space i'm with you on that that control panel is unfortunate it looks like the inside of a chocolate box that's just been flipped over (laughs) yeah Um, in fact that might well be (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what it was but the, yeah there's some I, I like quite like the because when we first see dorian he's looking down at that kind of like a scope thing almost like what mr spock used to look at on the enterprise mm-hmm. bridge so you see there are a few nice little bits and pieces there but um i it it's not the liberator obviously but i think it, it is good that they went for a contrast and it's something much more basic i mean you can do basic without making it look boring though is the thing and it oh, just it looks boring. Look boring i mean but i like i like the wall with slave on and then there's the teleport kind of pad next to it but then you pan around to the rest of it and you're like well bloody hell what the hell is the rest of this ship like what <laughs> the hell is a little the rest bit of more of it you will see a little bit more as time goes by but yeah. and then it looks like it looked like the little gun rack was just filmed against like they just found a random wall and set up the yeah, gun I think, rack i mean i think that's and, what it was just and, in the <laughs> ship itself like in universe it was just against a wall but like the way it's filmed and like dana calls villa over and then we cut to them standing what seemed like just against a wall outside the bbc center where they set up this console t- and they were talking and i was like i would have liked to actually have seen like the console in front of the gun rack in the front of the frame to actually emphasize that this is a really small bridge but instead having the gun rack in this completely open area is like so where's this open area and why are they not utilizing it for more of the bridge yeah i guess yeah i think you're saying all the wrong things today dylan i'm in complete disagreement (laughs) (laughs) yeah me too (laughs) we're just gonna team up against you i mean you're allowed to do that but hey maybe maybe you'll warm up to it uh, maybe you'll sour on it. Yeah, maybe. Maybe by the end of this season, we'll be we'll be flipped. I think you're making very valid points. I just don't necessarily agree with them. But I, I don't. I, no, I think you. No, you are right. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> so they have Dorian sort of at gunpoint because Slave will only listen to him, which is interesting. Um, I don't know yeah, how they're going to get around that. <laughs> maybe they're not. I mean, maybe so that's... he rescues. Yeah, he he appears, doesn't he? He rescues. Dana and Villa and then Tarrant and Avon. Well, there's. I want to talk about this 
before we continue, because it's, it's actually right before this, there's a shot where Villa goes after a, uh, Dana, sorry, and it zooms in on Orak being left behind on the ground. And I thought that the plot of this episode was going to be, oh no, we left Orak yeah, behind. Where's here. Orak going to be? I thought it was going to be something but regarding Orak. As soon as they get on Scorpio, you just see Villa carrying Orak in the background. And then I really had to wonder like what the point of the shot where they zoomed in on Orak like that was, because they do it again with the the gun they took from the Liberator, but that actually comes into play later, which really made me question even more what the point of that shot of Orak just left behind on the grass was. Yeah, that is, that's a good point actually. Yeah. And um, maybe they just needed to cut away to something. Possibly. But, um, yeah. I, yeah. I, I just it, rationalized it myself later just on. It's just a time filling that, scene. Yeah. Yeah. Remind people what Orak is. Cause Orak is a small role in this. There are not even really a role at all. Well, his role is to set up his role later on in the season, which is to fix the teleport thing that Dorian was trying to build. And I think they, they had to remove him from the action just to show how hopeless things were for the, the crew. And if, all, if, if he was functioning, he could go on the Scorpio and just take over Slave <laughs> and everything would be fine. So he... <laughs> I can see why they did it. You know, I think Chris Boucher wanted to make it as tough as possible. So he basically removed all the things that had been, you know, at the end of Terminal, they had the base, they had the ship, they had Aurac. It actually wasn't such a bad, I mean, it was a bad situation, but it wasn't terrible. And then they lose all of that, including Aurac temporarily. So it's, I think it's quite, quite clever. Right. And it's great when he does start working again. He's only in it briefly, but he gets some great lines. He gets, um, or it, sorry, it gets some great lines. <laughs> Well, we call him he here, yeah. if only because Peter Tuttenham voices Orak as a he. Yeah, I think it's, it's um, Avon always is the only one who calls Orak it. Yeah, because I think Villa at least always refers to him as he. Yeah, I think sure. in, in some of the big Finnish scripts, Paul Darrow always changes it. So if, if the script says it has Avon referring to Orak as he, Paul Darrow always changes it to it. Good on him. Uh, good on him for consistency. <laughs> Although he's, he's I, I was going to say, I've never noticed that on the show before. So no, but know. I mean, I actually think that's really cool. Like I Paul appreciate Darrow it. Is kind of high strung about some Blake Seven, about Blake Seven in general. You know, sometimes. Yeah, he, but he's dedicated though about it. He is. No. He's, he's lived and breathed that character for forty years, hasn't he? And right. You've got to watch him in Series D. I mean, he's relatively, relatively restrained here. Um, but you'll notice his hair's a lot bigger. And it, Does he do a John Pertwee thing where as the seasons go all, on, his all hair the gets bigger? Do that. All the doctors Series do that. Seriously, Paul Darrow is, he, he's like a god to me. I, I, <laughs> I try to model myself on him. He is fantastic. I mean, some people just think he goes over the top, and he does. But he is, you cannot take your eyes off him. He His performance gets bigger and bigger as the series goes on. And it, it's just brilliant. You've got some treats coming up. It's 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 definitely a more. I mean, I think Paul Darrow is a great actor, but you think how subtle he is in Series A, and his performance just gets bigger as the series goes on. Um, but in Series D, it just goes through the roof. And it, it, some people say it's because Avon has basically gone mad. So we say he doesn't seem to care about Callie, but a lot of people say no, he does. He's but he's gone. Oh, this has pushed him over the edge. He's just lost Blake, the Liberator, and Callie in the space of a few hours. And a lot of people say that is why he is so extreme in Series D, because he has actually gone stark raving mad. Um, and it is actually a very convincing argument, because he it explains, it's possibly the only explanation for his, his behavior as the series goes on. So, But it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch. He is just, no one else could act like this. It, it's 
it's a unique performance. He's brilliant. Yeah, that sounds oh, really boy. promising. But you should have Avon watch every week. You know, you <laughs> Avon watch that, your regular feature. Just like what? How stratospheric is his performance this week? <laughs> I mean, we've still got. Does Avon hold it like a six shooter? Which he does. He he holds their uh, their new guns. He uh, actually the new guns I don't that know. look a lot like Han Solo's blaster from New Hope. But anyway, yeah, when Solo was 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 coming out, where there was promotional material like a uh, artwork or whatever released for Solo, a, a lot of people online were posting. You know the the gun that Lando holds in that you know against Avon uh, holding one of these guns. I mean, these guns look a lot like Han Solo's blaster, which I can say definitively because I watched Solo on the flight out <laughs> and I watched this on the flight back. So it was like a, a span of a couple days between the two. But were those guns in Solo based on the original film? Because I, I thought that when I saw yeah. the posters, and I, and I don't know as much about Star Wars as a lot of people, and I but they definitely look like the Scorpio guns but i thought maybe that's what they look like in the star wars films i don't know yeah they do that's what they look like in 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 or that's what hans looks like in a new hope all oh, right okay and so that's why in this i was kind of wondering if there was like some star wars influence on the on the prop designers which isn't a bad thing oh, i'm not is. complaining about this obviously oh no there is by the that's a really good point the, the, if you look at the scorpio it is the millennium falcon it's just squat it's narrower they've squashed it, it i mean and the designer said it was very influenced by Star Wars and Alien, and they wanted it to look a lot more dirty and used, you know, to mm-hmm. make the tech look real. And they, they, yeah, they've just come come right out and said it. This was this is Scorpio is a direct homage to to the Millennium Falcon. So there's definitely an influence there. Right, I think in some capacity, if you're making a science fiction series or if you're doing you know something set in space that's fantastical in the in the late 70s early 80s you're interacting with star wars you're responding to star wars in some way whether that's paying homage or being indirectly influenced by or going uh, intentionally in an opposite direction you're 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 interacting with star wars in some way i think oh definitely i totally agree with that I mean, I think Blake Seven is often criticised. You know, saying, "Oh, they, it was the BBC's response to Star Wars," and that's not true at all. You know, it it was in production long before anyone really knew about Star Wars. So, right. but I think you're right. Definitely, certainly by this point, it, the influence is there in lots of different ways, and the way they filmed the models, or well, we can talk about that later. But um, yeah, it definitely affected the, the the effects guys, and a lot of these guys. You know, Bill Pearson, for instance, he works on series d a lot of the some of the effects and he he didn't work on star wars but he came straight off alien and then went back to the bbc and started working on blake seven so you've got people actually working on these big budget productions and then bringing that over to to blake seven as well so mm-hmm. so that 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 was it and, it, what, <laughs> and there's that lovely shot of scorpio and we see it actually on the planet so they would take this massive model on location and there's some really lovely shots in this episode and and future ones as well where you actually see the the scorpio landing which just looks fantastic and of course there's that amazing sequence when it's going down into yeah yeah i think that's got to be the best model sequence ever in blake seven i think that is just stunning and fortunately you see it practically in every episode (laughs) moving forward and i I don't i could watch it on a a loop for 45 (laughs) minutes i think it's just really stunning and it's just another example of the the visual effects team really going the extra mile you know just it didn't have to be as good as that they didn't really have the money or the time but they they just went the extra mile and i just think that is just a great example of of what can be done with you know if you've got the right people working on it it's not just about money it's about 
about love really and i think a lot of the those guys did put a lot of love into blake seven unfortunately a lot of the effects work this series because whereas in earlier seasons they did a lot of it on film right in this series partly because of the budget and just to keep to, to make it faster they basically a lot of the the model footage is actually just done um in studio it's not on film it's just against a blue CSO background. So unfortunately, a lot of the... I mean, there's some great models uh, in coming episodes, but the way they're, they're shot, they just don't look quite as good. You can often see a mm-hmm. big circle around Scorpio, for instance. You might have noticed that in this one even. So it's all, it's all very electronic-looking rather than film, which is a shame because the models themselves just look incredible. Well, videotape is cheaper than film, so... Yeah, exactly. Although low, and, low quality, and it means we're never going to get those full upscale <laughs> readings of the film sequences like they've done with uh, Star Trek. So they filmed yes. Star Trek on film. Yeah. Which is a real bummer, but I understand. I mean, coming from Doctor Who, where basically all of the episodes in, in most of the classic series were filmed on videotape, you know, not really a surprise in any way. Yeah, well, you, you still have film throughout Blake Seven. You know, all the location stuff is always on film. Um, it's just the model, and, and you get you do get some model stuff on film as well. If, if you actually see the Scorpio on a planet, that will always look good because it's on film and it's it just looks great. But it's just when it, it's all the space stuff that they just said, look, we don't have time to do a film, a two week film shoot of just model sequences. They were just. They were just doing it very last minute, sometimes actually in studio, just, you know, it was the last thing, you know, 10 to 10 at night. It's like, okay, let's, I think they were just like literally flying some of it, like a, pa- a paper airplane, just throw it across, across the studio, you know, <laughs> hope for the best. So it, there, there is some pretty shonky stuff coming up, but, but you often, if you see photographs of the actual models that we used, they look incredible. But when mm-hmm. you actually see the screen, they just, they just don't look, you can see the big blue lines around them or what have you, which is a shame. Yeah, that's a shame. I really enjoyed the the liftoff scene, though. When oh, they're, yeah. they're trying to get Scorpio off the ground. There's some great dialogue with Tarrant there. They ask him, you know, if he's, if he's How ever... How many times he's done this before? Right. And Tarrant's like, once. And Villa's like, when? And he's like, in about one minute and 35 <laughs> seconds. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, that, that's quite a, a great sequence, isn't it? And the, you mentioned, like, stock footage from Volcano earlier. So it's the all the lava and what have you. It's, I think it's, yeah, really well done. Yeah, because um, apparently Terminal's blowing up two liberated well, yeah, just bad luck sets. for these planets i mean serverland really wanted them dead didn't she i mean she's set a hell of a lot of explosives here to the whole planet's going up basically so yeah any a few people have theorized that maybe callie didn't die in that explosion but yeah, well. if she didn't die the explosion then she certainly died when this massive <laughs> volcano went off so yeah there's an indication that Dorian is not who he says he is before he actually meets the Liberator crew because when he arrives, he's like, oh, is that the Liberator? Because they're looking for the Liberator and he sees like there are a lot of debris from explosions. He's like, is that the Liberator? Uh, oh, yeah, he went there to yeah get the, to liberator, get the liberator and get them as well. Yeah, definitely. He's I think he's a bit of a, a Blake 7 fan. You know, he's like modeling. He, you know, he's got a, a, a ship with a, you know, a, a talking computer on there. He's got his teleport bracelets and... And he's obviously on his research on each of them. You know, he's basically, basically me, isn't it? He, he's <laughs> me in space. Uh-oh. But slightly you better watch out, John. Dorian's coming for your job. <laughs> he can have it. He can have it. Dorian's got hundreds of years to do his, your job, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's how long it takes. That's how long it takes. 
but I don't have a creature in my in my basement, you know, keeping me young looking. That's the only downside. Well, so we we land on uh, we land on Xenon base, right? And we meet Sulin, and uh, who who knows Dorian? She's yeah. she's she's work she's been working with Dorian for some amount of time at least. So I, I I'm pretty sure she doesn't know you know his his deep dark secret, right? No, no, she doesn't. No, um, but yeah, we. I imagine we'll find out much more about her background and her history with Dorian in coming episodes. I mean, no, I would won't. hope so. <laughs> but I'm not <laughs> expecting anything. I mean, poor old Glynis Barber. I, I, I really like her. And, and again, it, in the second half of the series, they, they work out how to write for her. It's actually episode six. Keep an eye on episode six. And she just comes into her own. Because, but it, as I said earlier, they, it, she was just getting Callie's lines, so she literally didn't have a character. And she she said in interviews, you know, I was I was given one piece of paper that had a bit of background on the character, but nothing was there in the scripts. And it's only you know t- as the series progresses that she really grows into the role, and she just finds a way of making the character different uh, than what came before. So I think she's great. Kind of reminds me of on Doctor Who actually right about this time Perry, forgetting who plays Perry now, completely blown my mind. Nicola Bryant. Nicola yeah. Bryant. She yeah. was saying how she came up with this whole long backstory for Perry so that she could like portray the character like the way she wanted. She came up with this whole long backstory about her family and her parents and and her relations and some and of that made it into audio some, some of it made it into, into audio. Audio. some of it like came through on screen because we meet her weird creepy uncle <laughs> but Which i think she also said that she'd in her mind come up with ex- reasons why perry would go off with the fifth doctor and spe- right. things about his specific personality and she didn't know obviously that he was going you know a few episodes later and colin baker was coming in so I think that was a bit of a shock. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, the doctor sacrifices himself to save her and then he immediately tries to kill her. So that must have been a shock. Because, do you know why I think he does that? Because she never says thank you. <laughs> she doesn't know. She never says, oh, thank you so much for, for saving me. And she just... I think no, that can be I mean, forgiven I mean, for the fact that she doesn't know what the hell is going on. Yeah, and she didn't deserve to get throttled, to be fair. <laughs> I don't think anyone deserves to be throttled by Colin Baker. <laughs> by Colin <Sorry>. Baker. <laughs> by Colin Baker specifically. I know people who would pay good money to be throttled by Colin Baker. <laughs> yeah, let's just end that conversation right there. They're not good people. <laughs> and we return to Blake's <laughs> universe yes. of Blake what 7. Well, Colin Baker Which, is on Blake 7. Well, yes, and I was you also going to say, according Maybe to Chris Boucher, they're the same universe. So. Yeah. Because uh, Chris Boucher, if you didn't know, John wrote some like uh, not exactly fan audios, but not entirely BBC sanctioned sanctioned audios. Oh, yeah, it's all the the Caldor the City, Caldor stuff, City but, audios. Yeah, they're really good. But Blake Seven and Doctor Who in the same universe. Well, well Tyrion Darrow is playing Avon in those. I don't care what anyone says. He's in. He's. <laughs> have you heard them? The, the ones from the Alan Stevens. No. I recommend that you listen to them after you finish this, because they after you finished the Blake Seven because he he's not called I think he's called Caston Iago but it's Avon it is so blatantly Avon I mean they in some of the later ones they 
expand his backstory a little bit. Well, that sounds a bit rude, but um, they <laughs> they develop the character and they they make it clear that it can't be Avon. But in the first few episodes, like when he draws his gun, it's the sound that the Scorpio clip guns make when when you draw it, and and he just acts like Avon, and Paul Darrow plays it like Avon. So it it definitely feels like a continuation of um, of Blake Seven, and it's you know it's Chris Boucher's universe. So it, it just reeks of Blake seven. It's great. As many things Chris Boucher writes do. Yeah. So we're on Xenon base. They're all getting drunk on wine. There seems to be some sort of implied passage of time here because they all change uh, right. outfits. And Avon takes yeah, so- a bath as he indicates later. Yeah, that that terrible line <laughs> while I was bathing. <laughs> that, that's possibly the first real sign of Series D, Paul Darrow. There's a lot more like that. Just uh, <laughs> like, a great. just milks it. You know, while I was bathing. <laughs> well, I mean, I was going to say it's the first real indication you've had that any of the Liberator crew actually do any personal hygiene. <laughs> uh, one well, thing that 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 uh, I I really hope Scorpio brings back as the treasure room. Sorry, I just wanted to get that. Nah, there's not going to be a treasure it's room gone. Scorpio. It's floating around in space now with the rest of the Liberator. That's it. It, Maybe there'll be a bathing room instead where Avon can take his baths. It does conjure up an image, though, doesn't it? Of, like, you know, Su Lin sneaking in while Avon's having a bath. And you just say, oh, this is going somewhere really strange. I don't know. I mean, um, just images that correlate with Avon's weird leather fetish. <laughs> So, well, yeah, he finds an outfit that's actually remarkably similar to the one he's wearing at the start, isn't he? And actually, while we're talking about their outfits, if you notice that Tarrant and Dana and Avon are all wearing their terminal costumes, but they actually got it wrong with Villa. They gave him an outfit he'd wore in, I think it was um, Ultra World and Moloch, but he it's not the one he was wearing in terminal. So he somehow managed to change clothes in that gap so that's an unfortunate mistake but it maybe he found a locker in of clothes in that that underground base on the terminal i don't know but maybe the clothes drifted down from the exploded carcass of the liberator possibly possibly of course again there's two almost two years between episodes and no one when watching this would have picked up on that it's just people like me who mention it just to be really vindictive and cruel 40 years later well, they all change outfits halfway through anyway, so thankfully we don't actually have to really worry about that too much because they can And they stay in those outfits for the next six episodes as well. <laughs> oh, yikes. So much for personal yeah, hygiene. They, yeah, they do, they, unfortunately, they, they, uh, each character only has two costumes in the whole of this series. They change midway through. Um, well, maybe that is another yeah. indication that the budget may have taken a bit of a dip. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, Glynis Barber was not happy at all because she said that, you know, in the old series, they used, used to change, get amazing costumes every episode. And in this one, she just had the same outfit. So she, her hair changes every episode. That was her compromise. She said, look, if I can't have different clothes, I'm going to have a different hairstyle in every episode. So that's <laughs> what happened. That's another segment you should have. You should have what's Sulin's hair doing what's this week. What's Sulin's hair doing this week? <laughs> I mean, the whole of Sue's deed. At least so far, all we've seen in this episode <laughs> the one episode we watched. feels very grungy compared to the other three seasons. Uh, you know, the Liberator oh, was yeah. white yeah, we're moving and spacious, the and yeah, and the Scorpio is like tiny and brown and dusty and dirty, and everyone's only got one outfit. It's very grunge aesthetic. Yeah, it, and that was part of the 
the brief really they said let's it can't be as easy for them this year and it, it, they don't have it easy at all it's yeah they don't have a a massive wardrobe full of clothes they don't have the um the the room on the liberator with all the precious treasures in it and and this episode actually feels more like series c than some of the others just because they're wearing these outfits the liberators mentioned at least and it halfway through the episode it becomes a full it feels much more like the ones that come later because they're in the new clothes they're on the base and it feels very much like how the series is going to be moving forward well this reminded me a lot of uh spacefall second episode of spacefall just in the in the aesthetic like very cramped small corridors small slow ships uh, you know yeah fighting in cramped spaces everybody's holding everybody else at gunpoint <laughs> for the entire episode and the entire episode is done at gunpoint so i don't know this is what i was thinking when i was watching this sure i can see that and then, of course, we have Dorian then goes down into his, his basement, doesn't he? And we see that. Did you recognize the creature in his basement? No, I heard I heard on the YouTube comments that it's a sea devil. <laughs> it's a sea devil. Yeah, exactly. And you mentioned John Nathan Turner earlier. He watched this. Um, he found out that they were using a sea devil and he he went mad. He phoned up the, the Blake 7 production office and he via Lorimer had to calm him down. And they said, don't, don't worry, darling. Don't worry. We keep it in the dry ice. You won't, no, one, no one will ever notice. No one will ever notice. But yeah, John Nathan Turner was not happy about that. Of course at people all. noticed. Of course people <laughs> noticed. I mean, there were people it's who like, watched this over and over and over again. <laughs> and, well, no, I mean, in this scene... <laughs> people who need to get out more. In, in this initial scene, you don't actually get a good glimpse of it. Later yeah, on, you no. do. Yeah, it's yeah. When, it, when it dies, you get a really good glimpse of it. Yeah, like wait um. a <laughs> a naked sea devil. I don't know. I, I, there's a certain charm I find in that, knowing that the BBC is like reusing costumes between series. I don't know. It gives it that low budget charm that I think we mentioned when we were watching a lot of the series A episodes. We're like, oh, this has that low budget seventies charm. Not like, man, this budget is so low that this is just hilariously trash. But there's like effort involved. But it's like you can tell it's kind of low budget, and because of that, you can tell these people like really yeah. cared about the show. I quite like it as well. You know, it, it, the it, the BBC, you know, that they're making all these amazing shows under one roof. Mm-hmm. You know, these guys were going to the BBC bar and the canteen, and you know, they all knew each other and they were socialising. You had people working on Doctor Who one week, Blake Seven the next, and then you know, Rent a Ghost or whatever you know it, it, all the these really talented people and i think yeah so what if they use the same costumes and props why wouldn't you it's mm-hmm. it's all there under one roof and it they don't do it that often you know it's not as though it's every week you recognize something actually it kind of is but, um, <laughs> but i love that you know it, i just love bbc sci-fi generally and it's just yeah you if that is enough to take you out of an episode then you probably you know won't like this kind of tv you know because it, it, it is dated of course it is. it's nearly 40 years old now so it's it's a part of tv history now so i think you just got to view it on those terms really right and and i mean look it's 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 mm-hmm. not as if sea devils are you know you know from blake seven right so it's not like this continuity thing within lake seven you know what i mean does that, does right. that make sense no I, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and also the the i don't know you know Maybe you can also. It would have been worse if Moloch was in there or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, if they brought back with Moloch or Ultra. But like you know, the Sea yeah. Devils. I don't know if this is an original Sea Devil costume, if it's the if it's one that they made for Warriors of the Deep, which 
you it's know. an original. This was 1981, and then. The- so th- I mean, yeah, like the Sea Devils, the the serial, the Sea Devils would have aired uh, like 71. I want to say it was or 72, maybe 73, 74. It was and in like, the master season, so whatever that seven, was. Was that seventy? Yeah, it was season season nine, wasn't it? Yeah, season, so season 72. 72. Seven, yeah. You know, so by this point, that's nearly nine years ago. If you're yeah. watching <laughs> this and you're like, man, I remember that sea devil from nine years ago. You're like, okay, well, maybe there's, you've got your priorities backwards. Yeah. Right? Uh, but I was just going to say, I feel like some of that like low-budget stuff is lost you know, now because TV – programs are made on such a high budget i feel like when you've got a high budget it's really easy to disguise whether you actually care about the show or not you know when when there's a low budget like this i feel like you know there's no hiding either you really care about the show and it comes across in like how creatively you can use that low budget you've got or you just don't give a damn and then it comes across on screen as like really janky and and you know kind of crappy but you know blake seven is one of those shows that i think you can really tell that the people working on the show enjoy it and, and like it and want to make a good product. Oh, definitely. And I, I think the fact that they enjoyed making it as well comes across. I mean, I know it was tough to work on it, but it, yeah, it, there was a lot of really talented people working on it with, with very few resources. So yeah, I, I forgive it a lot, you know, it's, and then when it, when it does go badly wrong, you think, do you know what, I'd forgive it. And also it, it, I think it adds to the charm. It really does. Like, like Dorian's wig when he goes down to the basement. Uh, Dorian's you know, that's, wig. Yeah, that, that's pretty bad. But that's part of the charm, I think. Right. Well, we should mention what happens with Dorian next, because he comes up and he takes Avon at gunpoint, and Avon tries to shoot him, and he's like, ha-ha, I took the <laughs> control things out of your guns. Avon's like, damn. Meanwhile, well, that, Dana that and That great line from Avon as well about Orac. Yeah. Well, because says, um, Dor- Dorian fixes Orac. Uh, and then Avon's like, oh, I imagined you'd have the tools to fix them around here, but I didn't think you'd do it yourself. And yeah. then it turns out that Dorian knew Ensor as well. And bearing and in mind him how everything long, he knows, apparently. <laughs> and bearing in mind how long Ensor was in, in hiding. So I think it's really clever, you know, Chris Boucher bringing in these bits of of history from Blake seven and just filling in some of these gaps. I think it's, it's that that's why he wrote this one. Cause it had to fit. It had to reformat the show. He, it needed to be written by somebody like him who had that in-depth knowledge of the history. And, but yeah, there's a great line where everyone says something like, um, Ensor bequeathed Orac to an associate of mine who then bequeathed it to me. <laughs> and it's just a Paul Tarot again. It's just, Oh, I love it. It's just he just takes a line, and there's some scenes where you you can almost see Paul Darrow in the background. He he knows his line. He's got a good line coming up, and it's he's almost like, oh, like he, in the background. He's like, oh, I can't wait to get to my line, you know. And he just he, he never lets you down, you know. And when he says um, he's working out all the things that or Dorian's done, you know, like the teleport yeah, slave, all those yeah, the slave and Scorpio and all those tunnels and all the other stuff he's been doing, and then everyone says what are you doing in your spare time? And then he does that, that massive cheesy smile as well. It's, just, oh, it's great. Well, I hope he doesn't start stepping on people's lines like he sometimes did to Jenna. Yeah, there was a, a, a specific episode I'm remembering, in, but I don't remember what episode it was in Series B where I know I had a huge problem with Paul Darrow in that episode because the dialogue started to feel super unnatural because Paul Darrow started to step on on Jenna's line specifically and a couple other people's because he was just so eager to say his lines. He kind of <laughs> ran into the end of other people's lines in that in one of those episodes and it got it was like, like really Horizon bad. Or something yeah. like that. 
Yeah, you, there might be a bit of that coming up. <laughs> <laughs> but he's so good, you can forgive him again, you know. I mean, yeah, in that episode, been... I know I didn't forgive him. I tore into him pretty hard in that episode <laughs> because, like, this is the least natural-sounding dialogue in all of Blake 7, and I hate it because it ruined the episode for me. Well, not even that. Just, like, as an actor, he was being unprofessional. Yeah, that was the other thing. And I was like, why didn't the director just go, Paul, can you just, like, wait half a second longer? <laughs> I think he is out of, It's a bit like Tom Baker. I think by this stage, Paul Darrow is out of control, a bit like Tom Baker was in... <laughs> season 16 and 17 but that but that i think was tom baker at his best and it couldn't have gone on you know but it, i'm mm-hmm. glad that they did have a word eventually but um <laughs> yeah that was the thing they did restrain tom baker at you know when they get to season 18 and like tom you gotta like dial it back three notches right yeah and, that, and then he left didn't he and that, and that was because it was a new team coming in but here i think maybe david maloney was restraining him a little bit and because <laughs> it's a new producer now he's just off the leash but he's He's still really, he's so good though. It's like Tom Baker. He's like, you can't watch anyone else. If Paul Darrow's on the screen, you don't really care who else is because you're just watching him. So then Mm -hmm. he talks over people's lines, but when other people are talking, you can see Paul Darrow in the background like, when's my line? It's coming up. I'm going to nail this. And he goes straight into it. And it's very theatrical and over the top, but you can justify it and say that Avon by this stage is a megalomaniac. He's gone do lally and that, that's and i think maybe paul taro had as well i don't know it's and maybe i don't want to go on about it too much it's not it, it, it's not like a pantomime it's not so over the top you can't watch it but it's you should definitely yeah watch how his performance progresses as the weeks go by yeah yeah, yeah no I mean, it's, all, it's all good yeah i'm i'm, I'm really enjoying him so far. Some, there are some really good guest actors coming up as well so he often you've got other big people on the screen as well, you know, so that they can almost match him. So it, it does balance out a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think you kind of have to have someone there who can balance them out. You know, going back to Tom Baker, you had Lala Ward who could kind refused of used to even act if he wasn't like behaving properly. Yeah. Basically who could like rein Tom in was like, Tom, if you want to do this, you got to like chill and also marry Tam, you know, who were like, they could play off of Tom Baker and and match him in in energy and and kind of match him in the episode. Yeah. Wise. And here you've got Michael Keating and Glynis Barber actually. As the series goes on, she has a great rapport with Paul Darrow. Mm-hmm. Those two characters bounce off each other quite well. So he is he, he is through the roof, but he he does come back down to earth when it when it really matters. You know. Well, I want to talk about her for a second because they introduce her in much the same way that we meet. Dana, I mean, using the same introduction, not the same way, because obviously Dana's father dies, but they introduced her as like the greatest warrior in the universe, but she was trained by the second best warrior in the universe, but she killed him because he killed her entire family. And it's like, man, that sounds really familiar. Because when we meet Dana, we're like, oh, Dana's one of the greatest warrior weapon makers in the universe, the greatest warrior. She's all about fighting. And when in, in Dana's introduction episode in what was it called uh, aftermath aftermath she's like she does all that fighting and she kills all those people and then well, when she, we meet what's her name here she's Su-Lin. like Sulin. she's like best fighter ever and then you know avon's like well when she has a gun well she but, she she almost seemed like a combination uh, of dana and um dana's adopted sister whose name i'm forgetting of the one who gets killed killed yeah <laughs> i was gonna say brutally murdered R- but right because she's right lauren, right, lauren. yeah mm-hmm. yeah lauren very Wait. normal name. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a very normal name for this universe. Shirley. 
Well, Blake Sound has always done that, right? We have yeah, well, well, we Blake make it every time, time yeah. we bring up a weird name. It has, yeah. it has. Yeah, I, I almost didn't say that because I thought it might provoke it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> might provoke the exact same response from Keon every time yeah. it comes up. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I, I think you're right. Though. I think that's a really good point. You know, it. You've got Dana, who's a weapons expert. And then they bring in, I think the difference is that Dana's an expert on the weapons, whereas Sulin is, a, is an expert, you know, she's the fastest drawer in the galaxy. But you've basically got two characters who are obsessed with guns, mm-hmm. and there's maybe not that much of a difference between them. Right, because um, at, least, at least in this episode, we start to see, finally we see Tarrant falling into like a specific role that he's going to actually have to use now because we don't have Zen in, in that he's the pilot. You know, for once it's actually starting to pay off that we have a pilot. Uh, you know, Villa is the one who opens the doors, although he just patently refuses to open one in this episode, although presumably uh, at some point he opens it so they can get into the Scorpio well, considering Dorian's dead. Well, there's this great moment too where he he basically looks in the camera and he's like, you know what? I'm not going to do this. <laughs> but then he like, he yeah, has to unlock the booze cabinet because he's yeah. like, man, kind of suspicious the guy keeps his booze under lock and key. <laughs> yeah, he's, I mean, Villa is great in this episode, isn't he? I mean, he, everyone's still treats him like dirt in this episode, but he rescues Tarrant at the start. He, he, um, and he saves the day at the end of this episode. And he's, he's basically brilliant throughout, you know, he, out of all of them, I would say he performed, he does the most to, to save the day, but they all still treat him with utter contempt. Well, um, I think he's really turning it up in the act like a moron kind of thing. He's got going he, on. Cause in series C, we, we, you know, we learn that he's actually like, probably one of if not the smartest person on the liberator but he kind of just acts the fool and it seems in this episode he really plays it up like a lot yeah he's he is slightly dumbed down in this last series i think villa a little bit but michael keating is is so good he manages to to salvage it but yeah they do play up villa's drinking a lot in this season and he is a bit of a a bumbling almost like a caricature of what's come before, but he, because it's Michael Keating, he does manage to, to retain a certain quality, but um, yeah, he, he's, I think of all the characters, he's perhaps suffers the most, this certainly in the early parts of this season, he gets some really good stuff later yeah. on. Well, so Dorian takes them all down to meet the sea devil. Yeah, well, Dana and Tarrant go off. They they go to sort of explore and see if there's any other way that they can get to Scorpio. Scorpio almost said the Liberator. Uh, I'm sure we're going we're going to be making yeah, that mistake, be mistake in the weeks that, to come. Um, but yeah. they're they're seeing if there's any other if they have any other options really, and they go down into this basement area, far underground. Actually, you don't get that impression when you just see Dorian on the mm-hmm. bo- uh, bottom most level at first, but it's actually very far underground, and uh, they run into. The sea devil. The sea devil. I guess it's just a, called it's the just, creature. Yeah, Dorian just refers to it as the as a as as a creature, but the creature is implied like Frankenstein's creature or something. Or not implied, actually. The creature is revealed to be his partner, his partner from two hundred years who ago. Went down into the cave with him. Well, I think I don't. Yeah, it's a bit strange because they. Yeah, he mentioned that his partner was the first. You know, who because everyone says who was the first Dorian. So I think the implication is that he went down there with his partner and then. Even then eventually he had to keep replacing that's why he, he's got these guys down there there's only so much what? one person can bear so yeah, I don't know right. if it's meant to be but then when he changes back you just see the, a young guy lying there so it is the implication that it, he's reverted back to his partner or it's a little bit confusing I think well it's it's definitely ambiguous and there's also um, 
they, they keep mentioning this room, right? It's this room that does it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I got the impression that he went down there with his partner and it was this room that sort of started all of this, turning his partner into the creature. And it was really a combination now of the room and the creature, but at first was just the room. Well, my interpretation of it was that the room, the room takes, I guess, Dorian's aging and puts it on another person and put it on his partner, but it became too much for his partner to bear. So they had to basically kill these people to keep the the creature, which right. in my interpretation was this amalgamation of, of Dorian's uh, age and sickness and disease to keep that creature alive because as long as the creature was alive Dorian was too because the creature would would suction off right everything that would kill Dorian and that's why Dorian theorizes that if he kills all these people the Liberator crew because the Liberator crew cares about each other a lot kind of bringing back that thing that I started to theorize last week in series C that Blake 7 at least series C mostly was a was a show about sentimentality and caring about each other he theorizes that because these people care about each other so much uh, they'll be able to withstand or hold a lot more of Dorian's kind of disease and madness than just one person would. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah and it's very explicitly sta- stated here, isn't it? You know, Dorian says, you all care for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was actually, a, the the episode originally ended, there was another scene where they're back in the restroom, not the restroom, the, um, <laughs> the, the, recreational, <laughs> the recreational area, whatever you want to call it, upstairs in Zenon Base. And then Avon basically destroys the basement. You, he, he presses a button and it detonates that, that whole basement area. And he says, well, Dorian was clearly insane. And the implication was that when Dorian said, you all care for each other, Avon is basically saying, well, you must, he, he was clearly mad because I don't care about any of you. Well, we had this that, discussion uh, last week, which you won't have heard yet, John, but when this goes out, we'll have aired where uh, I bring it up originally, but we both kind of run with it that, you know, especially in, uh, what was last week's episode called now? Terminal. Terminal. You know, there's a lot of mentions of like sentimentality and caring for each other. Avon says when he goes down that I didn't care for any of you. I didn't need any of you. I just needed the Liberator to get me to this planet. You can all leave. But then when he goes down to Blake, Blake says, oh, your sentimentality is showing. And there's also a scene where Avon basically says sentimentality makes you weak. uh, And it kind of draws in all these plot threads all over the place that like the Liberator crew cares about each other. But I think a lot of them are like really bad at showing it or a lot of them are in denial about it because like Avon says sentimentality makes you weak or they just believe that sentimentality makes you weak I don't know exactly what Blake Seven is saying on this I think last week I theorized that it was saying mostly that you got to care for each other but at the same time don't throw logic out the window yeah well Chris Batcher always said that whenever he was writing a line for Avon he always made it so it could be interpreted that Avon does something it could be taken either way he could be doing it for completely selfish reasons or he could be doing it because he wants to do the right thing, but you're never quite sure what is motivating him. And that, that, I think that is true in a lot of the episodes. You, He could be doing this because he, he wants to help, or it could be because it's in his best interest to do it. And I think there is always that ambiguity. I think it's very easy to think, actually, Avon does care underneath. He actually does really care about these people. He would just never show it. But then as this series goes on, you will see that actually maybe that isn't the case at all. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> no, I know exa- I know what you're talking about. All our theories out the window. I think I know. No, I think you're right. Though. I think I, I really, yeah, I think what you're saying there is, is so true. I think there, there is definitely an implication that he does care. And I recently got hold of the, the, the script for Terminal. And when that, that scene where 
they're all saying, you know, we need you and you need us. And they're in the stage direction, it does say for a moment, Avon is visibly moved by this. So it, it it's clearly implied that, you know, he does care a little bit. Mm-hmm. And like we bring up in our episode on Terminal, there's that line in series A where Avon says to Blake, I never understood why caring about someone meant you had to make stupid decisions. That's paraphrased, of course, but... Right, from Duel. So... Yeah, that, and that implies, you know, that he does care. He just doesn't feel, yeah, the need to wear his heart on his sleeve. Mm-hmm. Right, so that, that sort of thread has been there, you know, since since the beginning, really. Right. Definitely. And it seems to be continuing here, especially when Dorian's like, you all care for each other, so you'll be able to bear more of my disease. Basically, in a way, he's saying, you're stronger together than you are apart. And Avon actually says this when uh, when Tarrant passes out and... and Avon picks him up and Tarrant's like, why'd you come back for me? And, and Avon's like, we're stronger together. And then Tarrant makes some snarky remark like, oh, so you can run away when the beast is eating me. And then Avon's like, well, or vice versa. Uh, but, you know, this whole episode seems yeah. also to be based around this idea that they're stronger as a crew than than alone, especially, you know, when Villa and Dana go off on their own. Like the whole thing is that we should stick together. Otherwise, we're going to die on this man-made planet that's blowing up. Right. And that that's interesting that you bring that up because this episode has... To me, maybe not a strong, but definitely a present horror vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dorian even says, like, he, I think he calls the creature, like, my horror or something like that. You're going to yeah. come face to face with my horror or something like that. And I've been reading a lot of John Clute lately, who's this theorist, and he, he talks a lot about horror and science fiction and fantasy. Um, I have a written sort of response that I don't know if I want to read it anymore, but it's not long, but I don't know. Because I kind of saw Dorian as, like, this embodiment of... Uh, uh, thinking of Clute, this embodiment of like horror itself, and which is really interesting because Blake Seven has never really tackled horror. I think in I mean, it's kind of approached sense. it in the Ultra World and Moloch. We get that kind of body world, body horror in, in Ultra, where people's consciousnesses are wiped and joined <laughs> with this massive brain, and their bodies just get used as drones. Uh, in Moloch, we get that. We get the, the idea that you can just copy whatever you want from people, and we get that horrific being in the wall in the life support system the like massive eight foot tall humanoid looking thing in that vat which is just terrifying like i think blake seven has always approached or at least sure. vaguely orbited around the, the genre <laughs> orbited, of, like orbit. <laughs> the genre of horror yeah I mean, if you look back at the web quite early on that was oh, yeah, right, that had, the, yeah 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 blake seven is always and yeah that's interesting that you bring up the web it's always had this fear of what we could become or what we could create, like the decimas or the, I think, links they were called, on the mm-hmm. ones on Terminal. Yeah. And in Moloch, the, you know, what we could become. I mean, this uh, episode is definitely a lot more out there in terms of, you know, like you say, the supernatural and the, the science fiction. It, it, it's hard to imagine this. You think back to like the way back, the very first episode, and, and then you watch this. There is There is not much of a linking thread there between the episodes are basically two completely different shows and not just in terms of characters, but in terms of tone and, and themes. And it, it, it's definitely gone way more into the realms of sci-fi and fantasy since Blake left as well, I think, but this is one step beyond that because there's no real rational explanation for why this happens. It's just a mysterious supernatural room. There's no scientific explanation even attempted. Is there? It's, Mm -hmm. It's just right. there. It just happens. I, yeah. 
I guess I'll just read what I have because, I mean, I prepared it and, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's not long, but here goes, I guess. And I don't know if this even makes sense since I was trying to make sense of it as I wrote it. But So this is sort of how I think that this is configured in a more horror-esque way than what Blake Seventh has offered before, maybe. Um, I write, we can think of human lives as similar to stories, things that carry on by dying. The ending of a story isn't really the end. It always gives rise to the possibility of new stories. Similarly, life carries on by means of death. Think of things like carrying capacity and also the catharsis of death. How we in some ways yearn for the proximity of death and turn to stories when human death is removed from our lives. Uh, John Clute, who's this theorist, talks a lot about how horror is a genre of story, how, how horror is a genre of story that cannibalizes itself, a story at whose end we get a glimpse of the impossibility of the story to carry on, an anti-story. This is the fourth stage in Clute's configuration of horror, which he calls aftermath, interestingly enough. And the four stages overall are sighting, thickening, revel, and aftermath. In removing from himself the ability to die, Dorian turns himself into the double of the horror he glimpsed, sighted in Clute's configuration, in the room 200 years ago. His death, and therefore his life, which he gave up for immortality, can now only be relocated in the death of the horror in whose mirror he looked. And, man, I don't know, it's... it's it's interesting that, like, to me, that this guy in some ways gives up his, like, life. The Like, you think of, like, life and, like, inevitably, like, inevitably dying. So, like, there's, without the possibility of death, there's really, like, no sense of, like, you can't mm -hmm. get a sense that, that something was really alive, right, if there's no possibility of death. So it's, it was interesting to me in this episode and almost paradoxical how... Uh, how he sort of gives up the ability to die, but in in doing so also gives up his life in some way, the ability to pass anything down. I don't know. Well, it's... And the implication is that he's become so corrupted as well that he's not just living forever and this thing's aging for him. It's actually, mm -hmm. This thing's actually absorbing his moral corruption. So it, it right. really is intriguing to think what Dorian's been up to. And there's that great scene where he gives Avon quite a... Uh, an interesting look. He says, you are most welcome here, my friend. And the implication is, I don't know. Well, I don't know what he wants. Maybe he's got designs on Avon's body. I don't know. But the, there is a clear implication that, yeah, Dorian has been a naughty boy in lots of different respects. And it's quite interesting as well. But I think he's quite clearly, I think the, there's a, an implication that he is at the very least bisexual because, you know, he's with Sulin. Then he talks about his partner. And I know it could be his business partner, but the implication, I think, is that it might have mm -hmm. been his you know, his romantic partner right. who then turns out to be quite, a, you know, a, a, a young man. Right. And uh, Jared, Jeffrey Burridge himself was gay as well. And obviously it is a very, it's a very full on performance he gives as well. It's a very dynamic and, and colorful character. So um, yeah, it's just a shame that he, he, he literally bites the dust here and he turns to dust. <laughs> so I think it's, yeah, it's a really interesting performance, but I, I agree with you that I, I much prefer the salvage guy from the first half and this yeah. I, I think imagine the revelation if we'd we'd found out this was who dorian was maybe four episodes in right and yeah, then we'd that had could have this, been interesting yeah if we'd had this scene you know maybe ha halfway through the season and the, i don't think yeah and then kill him off then maybe but but i still think he's still made a massive impact i think he's, he's one of the most popular guest characters in blake seven of all time well he's, he's definitely I, I think the the, the best sort of one-off character ever on Blake Seven so far, I can't think of anyone better off the top of my head or more interesting. Come, uh, 
Colin Baker, maybe. No, not if only maybe because I'm his performance was like no. so over the top. It was kind no. of hilarious because he blows himself up though at the end, <laughs> which is. I mean, Series D has some great guest. I mean, guest characters, but Dorian's the best. But there are some really good guest actors coming up. Yeah, no, I think he was great, and and he makes the start to this season just that much stronger. Yeah, he really kicks off the season on a good note. And like I said, I really thought right up until he died that he was going to be the one who joined the Liberator crew. Well, actually, right up until the moment he was revealed to be a madman. <laughs> uh, there's an interesting line from Avon I wanted to bring up. Uh, some, uh, you know, Dorian says something like, "I can do." you know, I can do anything. And then Avon says, madmen usually can, which I just thought was interesting because Dorian like vehemently denies that he's insane or that he's crazy. Yeah. And then Avon kind of just in that one line just kind of tears down his entire argument. Just thought it was interesting. Uh, Kind of, I don't know why, but you know, the madman can do everything kind of idea reminds me a lot of underwater menace with, uh, I've got all the power in the world. What's his name? What was Zaroff. 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 <laughs> Dying in Atlantis. <laughs> was that Underwater Menace? Yeah, yeah, yeah it was. Uh, anyway, yeah, that's just, just an aside there that made me think of that. But Dorian, Dorian dies and then Sulin It's Villa kind of who saves the day. Yeah. Let's just reiterate. Villa gives Avon the gun to Villa kill the, day, yeah. the monster because all the Scorpio guns aren't working. But they still have one from the Liberator. It's just like I think it's one. Of, I think it it's the gun. Da- I think gun. it's the Dana, gun Dana designed, wasn't it? I thought it was. No, it's a Federation gun. Is that a Federation yeah. gun? Yeah. It would have been great if it had been a Liberator gun, wouldn't it? That and that would have been the last we ever saw of it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, what do you do? And then they kind of just Sulin sneaks off, and that's it. We get a weird remix of the title theme. Yeah, yeah. What did you think of that? I only listened to a piece of it and I turned it off. I was like, no thanks. <laughs> it's questionable. Well, get this. A re- do you know the original plan was to have, this was Via Lorimer's idea, and he wrote words to the Blake 7 theme. <laughs> and the plan, no, it gets worse, it gets worse. The plan was to have Stephen Pacey singing <laughs> these lyrics at the end of every episode. And the, and the song, <laughs> I swear to God, the song was called Distant Star. So oh it would have been. There's a distant star <laughs> in a distant sky, past the edge of time, way past Gemini. Peace is there, only beauty meets the eye. Oh my love, I'm going to stop now, but that was it. I've got the lyrics in front of me, by the way. I don't, I don't, I didn't memorize them. Uh, can and you I send those like, lyrics over <laughs> my email? I'm going to put them, put them in the show I notes. Email them to you, yeah. and it's like, come, come, hit the stardust trail. We'll throw our cap at Mars. We'll catch a comet's tail, and we'll sail to the stars. Wow, and that I'm speechless. Nearly, nearly happened. I'm speechless. So, so it reminds is, me of how Gene Roddenberry wrote lyrics to the Star Trek theme just so he could get the rights to the song, but I don't know yeah. if there was ever a serious plan to actually have them in the show. I mean, so, that. I mean, I keep going on about how I forgive Blake 7 anything. I think that might have been a deal breaker for me. Right? <laughs> if, 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 it's, if the ending credits had come on and there were words in this, I'd just call Kiel, like, we're cancelling the podcast. It's <laughs> yeah, done. I wouldn't blame you. I would not blame you. So is there any... Is there any recording of this out there that you can no it never as far as i know it never got recorded thank god you know what thank god i hope one day it like surfaces we have a recording now we have john singing the first (laughs) verse can you delete that out that's because
I, I regret that now. I am actually regretting that. Well, no, I'm going to move it to the end. I'm going to move it to the end and use it as our outro sequence. <laughs> oh, God. That, that was the hangover there. That was, I would never do that if I was thinking straight. <laughs> well, well, yeah, that's yeah. insane. I, that is the most bizarre thing I've heard on this podcast. And I, you know, yeah. We've heard a couple of bizarre things. Yeah. Well, now you know, guys. Now you know Blake Seven's darkest secret. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know if we can top that, but I think this is a good time to introduce the new segment. How would this episode be different if it had been written by Terry Nation? Uh, oh, unless yes. you guys have anything else to say about the actual plot of the episode of the meat and potatoes. I think me singing the lyrics to Distant Star, that's after yeah, that, where that I kind of- go? <laughs> the only way is up from here, isn't it? But I've been thinking about this. Yeah, you said you know, if Terry Nation had written Rescue, it's it's quite an interesting thought, isn't it? Because he, because Terminal, as you know, was it was written as the last ever episode of Blake Seven. But when mm-hmm. he handed in that script, there was a covering note saying, "You'll notice I've actually left the door open if 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 a series four ever is needed, if the public demand one." And he actually does. You know, he he has Villa rescuing Orac. When the Liberator blows up, Servalan is in the teleport section. Right. Um, and then, you know, Servalan leaves the ship and they've got a base. So he actually he has laid the groundwork for, for Series 4 there. And, and Chris Boucher came along and basically just wiped all that out in the first <laughs> few minutes. But I think if, if Terry Nation had written this episode, I think we would have maybe seen more of the base and, and seen the ship that Servalan had left on there because he left all all these pieces on the table when he wrote terminal so i think we can assume that he would have done something with those and i think maybe we would have seen serverland teleported down from the the uh the liberator so that's my theory we would have seen the crew fixing the ship and then serverland would have come along at the end and flown off in it and then i think we would have seen dorian come down because he's too good a character not to have in it and i think perhaps that's what what might have happened i think I, don't, I could never imagine Terry Nation introducing a character like Dorian. So maybe maybe Chris Boucher would have written episode two and introduced Dorian right at the end of episode one. And I think, yeah, Terry Nation would have done a what he does so well, you know, having characters fighting through the jungle and fighting the, the native life forms. You know, he's done that so many times in Doctor Who and other shows. So I think we would have seen more of that. And I think maybe Callie would have just been killed off between seasons. I think we'd, there might have been a fleeting reference to her, you know, maybe getting a eaten by a link or something but yeah i think that's that's probably what we would have seen yeah i'm i'm pretty much with you on that uh, i think callie would have been would killed off off screen i don't think we would have gotten anything on screen from her at all yeah uh, I think much the same reference. way we see blake and jenna kind of disappear in aftermath sure uh, i think definitely if terry nation was writing this he's bringing serverland back in this very first episode I think that was just Terry Nation was really fond of these characters he created. He liked bringing them back. So I think we definitely see Servalan come off the ship. I think basically the entire plot of the episode changes. I think I'm with you, John. I don't think actually Dorian even shows up in this episode. I think we potentially get something more uh, contained to the planet terminal. We have Servalan beam down. In my mind, we have almost a race to Servalan's ship. Uh, you know, yes, yeah, in the version great. I'm envisioning is that Serverland ship is a Scorpio and Serverland, you know, the Liberator blows up, Serverland beams down and we get uh, we get almost a race between the Liberator crew and Serverland to make it to Serverland's ship before the other team does because it's the only way off this planet and the planet's blowing up. Uh, and, right. You know, and then yeah, we get a lot of the Terry Nation. very Terry Nation. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. Terry Nation wandering 
you know, the group wandering through the jungle, uh, arguing, trying to fight off the, the creatures. And then we get Servalan in the background also trying to do, you know, wander through the jungle. We get some sort of Travis replacement because I think Servalan would need someone at his side during this journey. And, you know, that's kind of how I envisioned this episode playing out uh, if it was written by Terry Nation. Yeah, I think that sounds great. And yeah, maybe Servalan's left there at the end and then maybe the Federation land and rescue her or something. Yeah, maybe there's a little scene at the end where we see a Federation cruiser come down to rescue Servalan, or we get some line when they leave on Scorpio, like, haha, Servalan's gone for good now. <laughs> some ironic line that, you know, Terry would throw in because, duh, Servalan <laughs> would come back. And they'd need to find another reason why Dana didn't just kill her, I guess, but. Right. Right. Yeah, that sounds very Terry Nation, doesn't it? Yeah, a, ca- a countdown, the planet's about to blow up. Right. Got to find a spaceship. Yeah, I think that could have been quite good. And you think the spaceship would have just been the Scorpio there, ready to go? Yeah, that, I mean that's what I imagine. Or yeah. you know, if she Dorian said it was exists, an old ship, didn't she? She said it's an old ship. It's, it's an old slow. ship. It's quite slow, yeah. but it'll get you off the planet. This is like paraphrased version of what she says. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I I I completely agree with that. You know, Terry Nation is is a more old school writer than Chris Boucher, definitely, mm-hmm. and um, has always excelled at you know the things you guys are talking about and. You know, there are all these, uh, mine I think was a little more specific and we'll have to figure out how we like do this as we do it, right? Yeah. And, you know, there are a bunch of creatures in this episode, right? There's, there are the lynx and there are those plant snake things, <laughs> whatever they are. So I said, we and, and Terry Nation has always been interested in a lot of this ecological stuff, right? Introducing these creatures, terraforming he's even interested in. You know, you look back at the original Dalek story and they're encountering these metal creatures in this forest and there's the Thals and the Daleks and how they terraform the planet and use radiation to their advantage. And he's interested in all these inner working systems and almost ecological type things, right? So I said we would have gotten a lot more mm-hmm. with the creatures, maybe some of their background, how they interact in their environment and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think they could have played into the whole, like, if they'd gone for the race to the ship kind of thing, you get a lot of this, the moving through the jungle, the meeting all these creatures, how this planet works, especially since this planet's man-made. I think right. Terry Nation could have taken that in a lot of interesting directions. This sounds like a great episode. I might even adapt it on Twitter. I might bring it to <laughs> Like, I've done that with a, another script that didn't make it. I think you guys write the script and I'll, I'll do it on Twitter. <laughs> You have to give us a couple weeks. Wouldn't yeah, say well, we're the okay. quickest John's writers. Not coming back for another year. That's true. Or two. We, have a so year. we have a year or two to write this. Although we've got loads of time. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be scrambling like the day before. <laughs> we have nothing. <laughs> There's more time than Terry Nation would have uh, would have written it in. Yeah. Well, apparently, Fia Lorimer went over to America to see Terry Nation, and, and they did have a chat about where the series could go. I don't think Terry Nation really had much to say, you know, but. Um, they at least made the effort. They approached him, and I think they talked about some vague running themes. But um, yeah, he didn't have any real input at all, and that I is why the exact reason why he didn't come back. He was out. He was living in the states. Was it just that, because he was living it. in the U.S. at that point? He was in the U.S. He was busy doing other stuff. I think he'd shown that. And don't forget, he thought Blake Seven was done and dusted. That's true. So, but because of that, it, you know, you know, Big Finisher doing the. Blake Seven stuff, but right. because Terry Nation didn't write anything for Series D, you know he didn't create the Scorpio, he didn't create Sulin. That is why there are no big finished productions set during Series D because Terry Nation didn't own that format mm. or those characters. So Big Finish have got the license to do Terry Nation's Blake Seven, so they can do any cr- character that 
he created, which fortunately for them includes all the originals and Dana <laughs> Tarrant as well. But they can't they can't touch Series D. They would have to do a separate deal for that. And I think that would just be. I think it's too complicated. I think they've tried, but it would I was be. Say, yeah. I wonder who they'd have to go through. I guess or Chris Boucher. I guess would have the rights to be, Sue Lynn and Scorpio, right? Because he wrote this episode. Yeah, I guess it would be Chris Boucher. And I don't see why he wouldn't give permission because he's he's yeah, he's let yeah. star cups and he's. I think he's done. I don't know if he's done stuff with Big Finish, but I can't imagine he would refuse. But maybe it's just too complicated. Maybe part of the arrangement with Terry Nation's estate is that they only do. Terry Nation's well, possibly seven. the rights are in more legal limbo than we're aware of than just Chris Boucher, right? Yeah, maybe the BBC own. Yeah, but again, I don't see why the BBC wouldn't give the license. It's a real shame though, because I think it would be great to see some Series D, C, or hear some Series D audio. Uh, well, maybe they'll pursue it more proactively once they've rung A, B, and C for all all their work, yeah, especially without Gav <laughs> Thomas. The kind well, of... they're very limited to Series C now, aren't they? Yeah, they, because they, cause they have Thomas to do that without past. Yeah, yeah, and they don't have Josette Simon, but they've they've recast that part very successfully. Huh. Um, but Glynis Barber has said she'd come back, so it, it's a real shame that they, they haven't worked it out. I'm sure they could work something out with the BBC, especially since the BBC's given them the rights to like new Doctor Who now up to the Twelfth Doctor, which is incredibly recent. Exactly, I, I, I just think it's just very complicated, you know. Right? Yeah, I'm sure there's there's and... something, you know, something's in legal limbo somewhere where maybe the rights are split between multiple parties, or they're just in a more complicated place than we know. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I think we created quite a good te- uh, rescue written by Terry Nation. I, then I love it. Yeah, I just oh, love that episode. I want, I want to see it. I want to see this. And an ultimate t- universe, a universe five steps to the left. Yeah, let's do it, guys. Let's make this. Let's, let's make, make it. it. <laughs> well, I'm still planning out my sitcom style <laughs> intro oh, to Blake boy. 7 featuring Avon's smile from the end of Terminal which I thought was just hilarious but I think that's a good time to, to, to lead us into this uh, email we have from RG which isn't too long and we can respond to it here the subject line is don't read this until you've watched Rescue <laughs> and you're going to join us for this response, John, so pay attention since you don't have the text of the email in front of you. In hindsight, okay. I should have forwarded the email to you so you could read it beforehand, but... Hi, Supreme Commanders. I'll try to write my responses to this final season without sulking about the fact that my favorite character is now dead. Rip Callie, you were taking from us too soon. There is some conjecture as to her final word, but it's clear to me that it's Blake. Season 4 has often been referred to as the season where everything goes wrong for Avon. <laughs> Paul Darrow has said that he chose to play Avon in Series 4 as though he was slowly going insane. We've lost the Liberator and Zen, the cool teleport braces, the cool guns, and they all get replaced with, well, you'll see. Lesser versions, probably. Dana and Villa become shadows of their former selves this season. The one bright spark is the addition of Sulin. I think she works as a character in this nice interplay with Dana. Does Avon kiss her? Does Avon kiss anyone this season? Stay tuned to find out. When you're on Ultra World, you run through every corridor. When you're on Dorian's base, you tiptoe down every circular (laughs) staircase. Those are just the rules. I don't make them up. What a shocker that Dorian is just like Dorian Gray. Who saw that coming apart from everyone? Welcome to season four where we fly over a Ferrero <laughs> at the start of the episode. <laughs> Down and safe and sulky, RG. God, I'll never be able to unsee that. Every time we watch it now, I see a Ferrero Rocher. I think we hit on all the points in that email in our episode, actually. Right. 
I think we did. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm completely in agreement there. I think it's a real a real shame that we lost Cali. I I was gutted when I saw it at a very young age, and it it is a real shame that the character didn't stay stay around. But then it's very Blake Seven, isn't it, that somebody can die just in such a a horrible and yet offhand kind of way? And you sort of think if she did stick around, maybe from the scripts I've seen with her in, I don't think she would have had that much to do. So, so as much as I loved better. her. Yeah, I, I, yeah, and Sulin is such a great character, and it, it does make series four stand apart from the rest of the series a little bit more. So, don't get me wrong, I would have loved for her to be in it, right? But I, I don't know how much of a difference it would have made. I, I don't get the impression that they would have lured her back by giving her more to do. I think it would have been the same as the previous seasons, where she would just kind of fade into the background, and that's certainly the case in the scripts I've seen from this season with her in it. With one exception, but I can't really talk about that. Yeah, she had email it to us, and I'll read the email uh, after yeah, that episode. When, when you get to it, I will. It's, it's the episode's called Animals, and Callie would have had the, the. It would have been her episode, basically, and it could possibly have been the one where she was written out as well. Hmm, interesting. I, 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 I'm tempted to come back to talk about animals with you. I, I, I mean, it's if a, you'd like, that's an interesting. No, I can't. I, can't. I don't think anyone's claimed animals. I'm going to check no, out the release no. schedule. So we're doing quite a few crossovers this season, actually. Yeah, no, I think we're I doing think sand and orbit. Uh, I'll, I'll let you guys treat handle that one on your own, but I, I, I'll email you about it at the okay. time. I, yeah, I think I, I've sung "Distant Star" now. I can't. <laughs> you can't show your face on the podcast ever again. So we actually do have. We got additionally two emails since we recorded this episode with John. Uh, we received one from Sergeant Drano, and I'm not kidding about this, literally two hours after we finished recording. And we also, since then, have received one from Maurice. Uh, so we're going to respond to both of those. Of course, we don't have John to respond to them here with us, but that's okay. Uh, we're going to start with the one from Sergeant Drano because it arrived, it arrived first, I guess. So, And this one should have actually gone in last week's episode because it's about Terminal. Uh, but once again, it, it arrived two hours after we finished recording, so we, we would have recorded a response to that to go into the Terminal episode, but we just finished recording by then. So, hey guys, so Terminal, hell of an episode in my opinion. This episode has an interesting dynamic, especially on first viewing, in that for more than half the episode, the audience and crew are given almost no clues as to why Avon is doing what he's doing. All we can try, all we can do is try to infer from his actions. Is that what it was like for you guys, or were you spoiled going in? No, I wasn't spoiled. I had no idea what was going on. Situation aboard the Liberator is prickly with the crew kicked off the bridge by Avon down to amusing themselves with Space Monopoly. Avon is being all secretive and when Tarrant pushes him for answers, Tarrant gets slapped down hard. Avon to Tarrant, nothing and nobody's going to stop it, you least of all. So beautiful. I never get tired of seeing Tarrant get slapped down. Also, <laughs> Avon's gloves are amazing. When the Liberator flew through those fluid particles, did you ever expect that something so simple as that could spell its end? We get to the egg-shaped artificial planet Terminal. Interesting concept. I really like the pulsing heartbeat noise that is constantly present on Terminal. The voice that activates Avon's directional beacon was interesting. American accent sounds like something out of a 50s sci-fi movie. I wonder if that was anybody famous. Meanwhile, up on the Liberator, the situation is rapidly and literally deteriorating. <laughs> I like the alarming discrepancy between the auto repair working as hard as it can, Zen claiming the damage is only superficial, and then having to shut down the speech capability. Alarming. Down on Terminal, Avon goes into an underground facility and finds a Liberator teleport bracelet and computer records tell him Blake is alive. On the Liberator, Villa makes a tough call to shut down the auto repair and focus on investigation and analysis. 
Callie and Tanner have a monkey fight. Lol, did you catch how one of the links rebounded off a bush almost like it's a wrestling <laughs> ring? Avon gets darted, talks briefly to Dreamy Beard Blake, then gets his ass kicked repeatedly by guard. I think I would have liked this better if they'd been able to sustain the illusion for the audience as well to make us think that this really was Blake and not a hallucination. What the heck is that sharp thing on Serverland's shoulder? So Serverland finally gets the Liberator and maximum power. Ha 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 ha. I love the way the group turns to leave at the end. Avon last and he gives that little smile as he walks off camera. As you guys are probably already aware, this was originally intended to be the final episode of Blake 7. As the creators are all but positive, the show was not going to be renewed for a fourth series. What if the series had ended here? How would you guys feel about the story if this turned out to be the end? Of course, it's not the end. We've got one more series to go. The show was renewed at the last possible minute, and consequently, everyone had to scramble around in a panic to figure out what to do for Series D. As a consequence, Series D is a bit of a different feel than the others. There are quite a few fans who bag on Series D as not being that good, but as far as I'm concerned, it's absolutely my favorite season. I'll be interested to see what you think of it. And of course, I'll be interested to see your reaction to the knowledge of just how much Villa weighs. All the best, Sergeant Strano, Station 7, The Door. If I remember correctly, we answered a lot of the questions you brought up in the Terminal episode. Right. As for whether or not we think the show could have ended right there, I'd say yes. Terminal, I think, is the best episode of Blake 7. And that ending with Servalan apparently dying and the Liberator... Getting destroyed. Getting destroyed. Because that's like, you think back across... Series A, B, and C, and like the Liberator is like this. It's it's the it's the thing, right? It's the thing yeah. that's been there the entire Impenetrable, time. Impenetrable. Even Blake, the main character of the show, the titular character of the show, is gone. Is gone, but the Liberator is still there. So, and I think it works as a good ending too because it leaves like, you know, imagine in your imagination you can imagine that the story continues because at the end the main crew is still alive. Yeah, the Liberator is gone, but they're still alive. And so you can imagine like future stories. I prefer that as an ending to a show to something like, you know, Deep, <laughs> Deep Space Nine ends on this like really everybody has like a set thing that they do and they split up the entire crew and they all go their separate ways. And it's like really set in stone what they do and how it ends. Right. And there's like not really any wiggle room for for imagining what happens well, after I mean, you that. You can go the other way and be like, well, they didn't do that or something like that. I you mean, could, I've never watched it. But. but I just kind of prefer these endings that like feel final but like if you wanted to imagine the story continued you can i guess sure just in my opinion yeah i, w- I would have been totally okay you know if this had ended Blake seven and i think that's something we wanted to return to when we finished series d as yeah. well and we wanted to for sure compare them when we get to because we wanted to compare them yeah so that um, but yeah thanks for thank you for emailing us yet again so i can train nice to hear from you again yeah after a little bit of a uh, hiatus, but that's right. okay. Looking forward to having you back on the, yeah, looking on forward. the show as well. We having him back for Orbit, I believe. Right. And then we also have an email from Maurice. Hi, guys. Good discussion about Terminal. Thanks for that. Nice to hear you haven't spoiled yourself to death about Series 4. <laughs> Try to keep it that way so we get your cold reactions. I'm trying. Regarding Zen's end, I agree with Dylan that it perhaps happens too early in the episode, but I get why the producers might have wanted it to act as a sort of middle of second act, midpoint mind fuck in Hollywood parlance. I'm going to have to beat that out in post. As to Zen's line about failing uh, them, I took it to mean that he realizes that he didn't protect them when he knew better. In the early episodes, they'd sometimes tell him to do something and he just wouldn't, and they'd later realize he was trying to protect them, even if, for whatever reason, he could not tell them why. Zen perhaps got too comfortable by Series 3 and realized it in his final moments, hence his admission of failure. Yeah, that's really... I never thought about that. That's really interesting. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to think about it, actually. Um, You know, I'm kind of tempted to go back and, and watch it again now with that in mind. 
As to which series is the best, I personally feel that Sans Blake, the show started to list. <laughs> Avon's terrific, but works better with Blake as a counterpoint. Leonard Nimoy said of Star Trek that he realized after the Galileo 7 that the character of Spark works better when he has Kirk to play off of, and I feel the same about Avon and Blake. I think Tarrant was an ineffective substitute for that dynamic as such I could never put Series 3 at the top. Serverland's trap would have been more poignant if the information about Blake's whereabouts came from Orac since he can access all these terial cell based computers and thus would easily run across any bait serverland put in a federation computer it would have been a great way to show that orac's amazing capabilities can be double-edged blade that cuts both ways final thought just how does serverland know what to try to operate the teleport were avon's sticky labels so clear that you could just run up to it and know <laughs> put do a b c and d look forward to hearing your reactions to series four maurice uh, in regards to serverland i think serverland's watched them teleport her off the deliberator before because they're you know, the episode where she was on the bridge with Dana and she was like, you have to kill me right now here if you want to kill me. I think she probably watched them teleport her off the Liberator uh, in that Yeah, episode. she's resourceful. She can maybe discern from just one uh, viewing. And if not, you know, big finish. <laughs> <laughs> Although, as we find out, they're not allowed to do anything from Series D, apparently. Yeah. Uh, in regards to... Avon and Blake working better together. Uh, you know, I don't know if I wholly agree with that. Blake, I think, almost felt almost like a restraint to, on Avon, reining him in almost. Uh, whereas unhinged Avon is un- unlimited. You know, Avon, you know, much like Gan had a limiter in his head. Yeah, Blake uh, was Blake's Avon's limiter. Avon's limiter. You know, I don't. I mean. That's, this is going to be something really interesting to that we can keep thinking about in Series D when we supposedly get the, you know a more unhinged Avon. Right, because as John mentioned, Avon apparently gets even more unhinged throughout Series D. Right. Although I do agree that Spark works a lot better with Kirk as a counterpoint. I agree with with that uh, point at least in, in you know in my opinion, having watched the movies. Uh, but you know a lot of really good points there. I think uh, from Maurice as well that I kind of agree with. I don't know about the Zen thing, uh, getting too comfortable, uh, or if it's just so much as them just forgetting what they were initially doing with Zen being all mysterious and and controlling. No, but I mean, I think that's a really... In- like, I, I never thought about that. I think it's an interesting perspective on the event, uh, you know, because I think we looked at it so much as... Him Zen, like coming, yeah, like developing, uh, or developing a personality, or revealing that he has had, that maybe revealing over the course of like these three seasons that he has developed a personality and he hasn't really showed it, you know. But yeah, that's for sure interesting. Yeah. So, so thank you, thanks. Maurice. Thanks again. You know, Maurice, if you want to be on the show, all you got to do is email us. We're coming to the end here. You so. only got a few weeks left. Yeah, a few weeks left, so. And uh, we are open to pretty much anyone, anyone being, being on. on the show. Yeah, any episode. <laughs> well, except the ones that have been claimed already. Yeah. So uh, yeah, now we're going to return to our original ending that we recorded with John. Because once again, these two emails we received after we finished recording with John, so uh, we weren't able to have John respond to them with us, but. We wanted to respond to them anyway. So thank you, both of you, Maurice and Jano, uh, for emailing us. And uh, here's us a week ago. And John. <laughs> Back to us from a week ago. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, thank you, John. I think that about wraps up the episode, unless you have some final God, closing thoughts. I don't think so. Again, sorry, I've talked at great length. That's, that's been over two hours, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, but, you know, 
I think it's a good episode. And I, I, that's yeah. the fun thing about these crossovers is that, yeah, they end up being really long, but they're all really interesting, I think. And, and definitely more insight than we would have ever even approached alone. Right. Well, thanks for getting me back on. So, I, as I say, it is my favorite episode, and it, I think there is just so much to unpack in it. And it's, um, yeah, the start of, a, I think, the best series of Blake 7. And I'm really looking forward to hearing what you, you make of the rest of it. So, yeah, my advice is keep an eye on Paul Darrow and stick with Sulin because she gets a lot better as the episodes go by. And, um, yeah, just enjoy it. Well, I'm really looking forward to it, and I really appreciate you being on the show again. Yeah, definitely. Uh, coming back joining this menagerie again <laughs> no i love it i love coming on i think you guys are great i, I listen to your podcast every week i think it, i really enjoy it oh, and you. um yeah i think you just strike that right balance between you know you know pointing out the errors and the flaws when they're there but always trying to find something positive and just hearing a fresh perspective on it you know because i think you are coming at it for the from the first time mm-hmm. uh, and uncovering stuff that i've never thought thought about before so yeah keep up the good work Oh, thank you. Only 12 episodes yeah. after this. Or well, 13, actually. 13, because oh, we're doing the 40th anniversary audio as well. Oh, great. Oh, you should do all the big finish, and then you can do the annual stories. Uh, we, might, do- we might take a break first. I think. <laughs> uh, yeah. We kind of run ourselves ragged doing two weekly podcasts and a monthly podcast, so we might take a couple months off. Have you ever watched Space 1999? You should do that next. My dad <laughs> suggested that. Actually, like right before we started this podcast, like, oh, you should watch Space 1999. I'm like, okay, I'll put it on my list. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'd, yeah, do that. And then I'll, I'll come back and talk about that as well. <laughs> okay. We do have a list yeah. of other shows we're considering And a list of things about. people have recommended to us. Yeah, I think the list has got like Sapphire and Steel. That was my recommendation. <laughs> uh, the Prisoner. Um, That's the one I'm not Twilight do. Zone. Things like that. So. King of the Hill. Still holding that's out your suggestion, which I consistently oh, deny. Still, <laughs> thank you, I love, John. I love thank that you, show. John. <laughs> oh boy. But well, yeah, it's not in the you know the realm of like anything we've ever done before. So you know. yeah, <laughs> and we'll keep it that way. Anyway, I'll if just start my own. Yeah, you know, start your own podcast. One man, King of the Hill podcast. If there's oh. anyone. Uh, <laughs> out there who would like to email us with suggestions or other podcasts or just you know love letters angry rants your thoughts on this episode you can reach us at the doctor decadentvegetable.com uh, you can find us on youtube at decadent vegetable unsurprisingly you can find us on apple podcasts and google play at zenith a blake's seven podcast be sure to leave a rating if you like the show recommend us to your friends as we slowly grind to a halt at the end it's on facebook Trust your, doc- trust your doctor like us on Facebook also check us out on Twitter at TYD Podcast and follow us on Twitter and uh, next time we're watching Power and um, do you want to just plug yourself again John? Um, I think I've already plugged myself to death I have nothing more to add to that I will say that Power is possibly my it's not my second favorite episode but it's brilliant too okay well I'm, I'm looking forward to it I'm looking forward to the season and one more time thank you for being on the show John Thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you. Until then. Until next time. The end. (laughs)